Hello everyone, my name is Dan. You might me from um, Nintendo World Report where I write reviews and do some features and you might just know me from any place I've ever been. It's, it's, yeah, I do way too much and I sometimes also realize this. Um, the thing you're about to hear are 10 interviews with independent developers and you might be asking yourself this is an insanely long podcast an insanely long endeavor for yourself and it seems like maybe you should have shouldn't have put that much time or effort into this um, and you might be right but before we really get this into gear um, I want you to listen to a few minutes of what I have to say and why I've done this because I want to continue this in the future this is something that I insanely love and it fills me with so much passion to do so and this is because of two specific things that I really really enjoy the first part of it is that I really love talking with people into podcasts. You might not have noticed this, but it's the truth. I've been talking in podcasts since many, many years back, and I used to be on a British podcast, and it was kind of weird. I was the only Dutch person around there, which made the whole situation and balance of it completely whack. And it came so far that I was even allowed to edit a few podcasts and I own so much to that podcast from back in the day because it learned me so much to articulate myself better to be more open to invent myself to go further than I would ever have gone and just a friendly tone talk to people and this ties into the second part of it. During my time doing that podcast, I also focused on doing a couple of interviews with independent developers. It was just the time when WeWare and DSiWare were about to become a thing. This was way back in the day. And I talk to developers like No, who you can also hear on this podcast. It has been from way back that I did the first initial interview with them. And I had so much fun back then. And I enjoyed it so much just learning their motives. And why do they make video games to begin with? That was the most important thing to me. And I was so thrilled when a developer said from, when are we going to do this? And I was like, as far as I care, let's do it tomorrow. Um, I would prepare questions. I would said from, so when are we going to do this? And I was like, sometimes I was like, very displeased that it would take it like an additional day to get it to all going off the ground. I was just I was just way less filled with patience back then. That time came to an end. 
that podcast came to an end. And I was lost without a home for like a couple of years. I mean, I have then solely focused on making videos and also writing features, which also was like generally what my time filled at Nintendo Waterport when I started there. Um, but then I got like into podcasts once again where the first like big thing I did was with Scott Thompson I talked about Super Mario 3D Land before it came out and I enjoyed it immensely and it just made me it gave me that same feeling from many years ago but it was not still exactly the same a couple of weeks ago I purchased the software again that I used to edit with back in the day, which is Adobe Audition. And I was like, okay, now I'm going to get back into this and I can, I'm going to do it no matter what people tell me. And what I did was I talked to Knapnock Games, the people behind Spin the Bottle. And I had such a lovely time with it. And like, a week later, I talked with Image Informer with Brian, and we talked about all the inside-outs of SteamWorld Dig. And those two moments filled me with joy. Then the Nintendo Direct came around, and they showed all of those independent developers who are bringing games to Wii U. And I was... And I thought to myself, maybe I should just email them and ask them all for interviews. That's what I did exactly one week ago on Monday. Now you have to realize, not every single person that we feature today has been in that Nintendo Direct. But in some way or another, I came in contact with them with the pure focus of getting content out there to you and making me in the first place very happy to make it happen. Having now worked on this package for completion, recording, talking to these people, adding to the interviews afterwards and now talking to you um, on a Monday morning at 3 a.m. after I'm finally done, um, it was totally worth it for me and I would do it once again. Anyway, that is what I wanted to have out of the way. But now let's talk about what you exactly can expect in the next hours for you to enjoy. So we have 10 interviews. Uh, we have Henchman Studios who are going to talk about Monkey Pirates um, I'm with, there with Kristoff, who discusses this four-player pirate battling game. Then we have Ludo City, who, who talks about Little Do. And I'm with Jewel, and he talks about like his game and his comparisons to like Metroidvanias and 3D Zeldas and all the humor that comes with it. Then we have No and Free Sprockets, which um, we talked about Cube Man 2, which is a multiplayer strategy game. And it was just interesting to hear about their experiences 
getting like this game across platforms and having like asynchronous and direct multiplayer. Then we talked to the game makers about Squid Odyssey with Emmerich, um, which is a strategy game with a twist or a flick in this matter, and we just had fun discussing the cuteness of these little critters. Then I am joined by Justin, Justin Baker, who is like the reviews editor extraordinaire and he edits like recently a lot of my reviews so I feel like I can say that and we talked to Peter um, who talks about Tesla Grout and tells us how magnets work and the beautiful silence that involves this game. Then we talked to Kevin from Beauty Fun who are making Inanombra and where we try to escape the void as much as possible and I just ask questions about this incredible creature who wants to absorb everything. Then um, I meet a fellow Dutch guy and we talk about um, Mamonga Pinball Adventures and this guy is called Dirk de Geus and we talk about cute Japanese creatures and being responsible for everything. Um, then we had a little surprise interview with Teco Studios about Candle. This was a Kickstarter game that recently finished and saw its final showdown. But I'm here with Miguel and we go on Discovery with a little light in our hands. We have Snowcastle Games about Festival of Magic, um, which I, I talked to Ben, Dick and Fritz. And they talk about the trials and errors on, about making a downloadable RPG. I mean... It, it's incredible if you just listen to it. And the final one, which um, is is personally one of my favorites, is with Jennifer from Nyam Nyam about Tengami. And we talk about working in Japan, uh, then going to where, and then going independent and using those experiences to your advantage. I want to welcome you to a world of just digital software. Just let everything slide of you, just take a cup of coffee, just take a few train rides, and listen to everything we have to on offer today. This was everything I had to say. I hope that you listen, and that you recognize that a lot of good stuff is coming to the eShops. Thank you so much. Hello everyone, uh, Dan here. And I'm here with... Christophe Sicardi. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Uh, could you kick things off by talking a bit about yourself? Well, uh, I'm, uh, I'm an indie developer uh, based in, uh, in Montpellier, France. And uh, we are called ourselves Henchman Studio. And uh, we're five. We made a game for uh, Wii U upcoming this year, 2013. And it's called Monkey Pirates. It's going to be released on the eShop. So, for Henchman Studio, this is like your debut title, correct? This is uh, our uh, first title uh, going to be released, yeah. Yeah. So, do you have any like previous experience like working in the industry? Sure, sure. Well, we were all working in the industry before, so we are uh, five. Uh, some of us, well, we kind of all met in uh, Ubisoft Montpellier, and uh, we all out. Uh, like our experiences around uh, had 
colleague web was working at uh, Counting Dreams in Paris. Uh, myself, we're working in Ubisoft Barcelona as well. One was working in Cyanid um, Studios. Another another one worked now in uh, Shiro Games that made Everland. Uh, yeah. Okay. So uh, the title is a four-player Navy combat game. Uh, exactly. Could you tell me what the game is more frankly about, and what did you make you decide for such a concept? The thing is, <clears throat> uh, we wanted to create a game that uh, we used to like in the 90s, you know, the, the, those kind of games that you invited your friend along and play on the same couch and the same TV, like very dynamic, very quick-paced, and so And uh, that, yeah, that was the kind of game that reminded us good times, you know. And uh, originally, we decided to make a game that we like because that's what Henchman Studio was about. It was leaving our former jobs in big industries and create something of our own. And uh, this is the kind of game that we all rejoined and we all liked. And uh, so we created this and, uh, well, it's exactly like you say, and then it's arena-based, like in um, Mario Kart uh, arena mode, and uh, it's in 2D, very, uh, very dynamic, very colorful, with the monkey pirates captains, and they sail around the different seas in the world, grabbing bonuses and fighting, fighting one each other over several game modes. Okay, so that's actually a question for later. Um, <laughs> Sorry. So, so, that's no problem. Um, so the game may seem easy on the surface, but what I've seen of it, it seems like that you have to take note of a whole bunch of stuff. Um, what challenges will players like have to face when trying to overcome enemies? Well, first, first challenge is to acknowledge the wind, because you don't control your speed in Monkey Pirates, it's the wind that controls the speed you'll have. Uh, at the beginning of a, of a game, then the speed... Um, you, you, you'll see a big spin of the, of the wind uh, orientation and uh, this will define the wind for until it's changed because some bonuses change it and then regarding your orientation towards the wind you will have your speed you can see under the boat there is like a circle with different colors and uh, this represents the orient your orientation of within the wind the wind okay Okay. And this is quite a challenge because you don't control your speed. It's just like, uh, yeah, you have to deal with it. Hmm. This is the first one. And after you got several, some specific stuff like drifting and everything that uh, makes yeah the gameplay more uh, tricky. And this is just for moving around. And after there is combination of bonuses in order to specify uh, your attack and, uh, and so. Okay, so... Talking about those attacks, uh, like the characters will have like the option of like what is it like? I thought in press release it said like eleven special advantages. Which yeah, you have uh, each character has its own capability. So uh, you got four uh, four captains, then four special capabilities. One is quicker, the other one reloads more faster, the other one shoots uh, far away, and uh, yeah, and uh, well. And one is uh, more maniable, uh, what I mean. It turns easier. And um, and after, on the top of it, you have to choose uh, a perk that will um, be with you along the game. 
and uh, regarding yeah regarding this perk regarding your way of playing or the game mode you're gonna play in uh, some perks might be useful and some won't okay so it's a bit what do you like on your own a little bit um, so the game seems very interesting but are there also like um, variations on the rules or ha do you have perhaps like different modes to play uh, what do you do to keep it interesting for players well the there are like uh, over 15 bonuses and uh, like uh, 10 environments difference with uh, each environment has some uh, special gameplay features like uh, in Caribbean you you can, you can see volcanoes or there are teleports in Egyptian areas and uh, well stuff like this so it's those environments are quite moving and each games are not the same one besides there are like three game modes and we're adding a four one specially for Wii U that we that will take uh, part of the Wii U gamepad that we use the Wii U gamepad, and well, it's like it's like Mario Kart. I mean, you like you enjoy your games, and each time you you've been beaten, you just look at your friend and say, "Next time I will eat you," and then you start another one. It's yeah, you make it discover to your other friends, and it's very yeah, very convivial. So it's not it's not about uh, being used or something. It's it's nice on the moment. Um, how will players be playing against one another at home? Because on Wii U, that isn't still very clear. Will you be able to use the Wii U gamepad and a bunch of Wii remotes, for example? Or how are you going to do it on that system? Well, actually, we uh, we developed the game that uh, in in the way of um, like um, New Super Mario Bros. Wii U. I don't know if you played it. So uh, each player will use only its uh, Wii U remote. But uh, we also added the features to use the uh, Wii U Classic controller or um, the Wii U Pro controller. No, it's the Wii, Cl Wii Classic controller and the Wii U... Cl My God, those names. And yes, <laughs> they even become ridiculous if you go to every single country. <laughs> and each one of them, yeah. It's, it's and uh, for the Wii U gamepad, you can play either on the solo part or uh, either on the special uh, mode that we'll develop for it. We haven't really talked about the solo part, but so how will then solo work? Because it mostly seems to be multiplayer focused. Is it's, there? It's it's very multiplayer focused. There is like quite of a solo experience, just on the, some challenges regarding. Uh, gameplay specifics like uh, drifting parts and stuff that you will have some challenges with high scores and everything but not so much it's gonna be uh, yeah, most mostly multiplayer and we're working on an AI to make like you can play alone against the computer but it's it's not the ideal to play uh, play it of course because it, it is meant to be played with like a group of people exactly yeah um, Going to that, I mean, you guys launched the game on March 2014 on Greenlight, um, with the hope of getting it on Steam. Um, in an update, you guys mentioned that, like, I think online play was one of the possibilities. Um, yes. Is that something you're also looking into for the Wii version, or is that just Steam-specific? Well, <clears throat> to be like really honest with you, uh, when we launched the game on Greenlight, it was mostly because yeah, we used uh, Unity and uh, we didn't like very much look about 
developing games on uh, Nintendo and so, and we just had leads around, but not, not nothing concrete. Uh, so we wanted to be released on Steam because Steam, PC, and everything, it's like uh, when you're an indie, that's where you go, somehow. Uh, but the game doesn't have, like, a big welcome in it, so uh, I don't think we'll be able to be released on Steam because uh, green, green lighting is not working, and uh, made us realize really that we made the game for console with the with the Nintendo Spirit and everything. Well, it could work on Steam Big Pictures as well, but uh, we missed something. I don't know. People on Greenlight are not uh, I, I, not responding I, I, well. I, I, I personally think that you are not missing something. I just feel that Greenlight is not the best way to highlight that stuff because it just becomes a sea of all these concepts that people are not really likely to see. Somehow, yes, that's true. And, well, you know that uh, Greenlight can be good in some ways, but the thing is that there are so many uh, not not haters, it's not what I want to say, but there are so many angry people there and uh, we, we saw very harmful comments that were that were really harsh. Uh, but yeah, that that was just not so nice. Yeah, I, I've I've seen it also in update when you were talking about um, an iOS version. But yeah, when people saying this should be an iOS game, and I, I was like, this seems like a four-player game. I totally don't really see this where they're coming from. No, it's not. It's it, we 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 tried out an iPad version, so of maybe a solo experience or something that you can play on the iPad, but it's not working. You have to play it on the same screen. You have to be like side by side to play this game to be fun and everything. Yeah. That's well, it, anyway. It, 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 it's 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 not something that is ideal. Yeah, and that was where the network comes from. Uh, we wanted to make a network version for a PC and such, but if Steam is not going to be uh, uh, okay for us, then maybe we'll have the PC version, but just on the side, and it will be like the same as the Wii version, so maybe within net- with no networks and everything. Okay, so it's, it's definitely just a local multiplayer game only. Yeah, I think we, that's what, where we headed for the PC version. Yeah, that, that seems totally fine. I mean, the Wii U is such an audience. There, there are a lot of also like a lot of multi single player games focused, where there's a local multiplayer game only in there. So it it, it does make sense in some fashion. Besides, we're like don't yeah. You have to keep in mind that we're indie, so we don't have many much money and so we can't like put servers everywhere and uh, and networks it's a source of bug and uh, if you want to have a quality product you cannot provide a product that can be like bugged yes and uh, for a first game it's touchy to make it network yeah. I mean quality is uh, goes above everything I, I mean online would be nice but I still would have fun with people playing around me so it's 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 not a big issue in that front. So for pop, some people will say, why is it not in there? Which is uh, which is the kind of reality of gaming these days. Exactly, but a you have to realize that we were only five, not paying ourselves. Yeah. so we cannot make everything. <laughs> yeah, some people just don't realize that. That's the problem with. Wow. Yeah, hopefully. In the reality. In the reality, that's a good way of putting it. Um, so, how open has been like Nintendo getting your game on the platform? Because you were in that Nintendo Direct video, but yes. what did, made you decide to put it then on Wii U to begin with? And how were they 
how were they in their approach? Because that seems like an interesting side to me. Exactly. That 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 was unexpected, to be honest. Uh, Nintendo were like very very kind. Those guys were amazingly uh, gentle, and yeah, they were very open and very open-minded, and uh, they faced the indie reality as well. No, that it, it was it was very very nice. Uh, I. I can thank a lot uh, Team Simons that helped us. It was no, it was very very nice. Uh, we at the beginning we didn't like I said earlier we didn't want to, well we didn't even re dreamed about being released on Nintendo or uh, whatever. So the target was Steam, PC, and stuff. And uh, when we realized that we have made a console game, because that's at the end of nearly at the end of production, we looked at it and we said, "Okay, this this is a console game. It's not a PC game. We we can try it over Steam Big Pictures." But we made a console game, and it has the Nintendo spirit, like I said, with the Mario Kart and the Bomberman kind of, or maybe yeah, stuff like this, multiplayer games like this, very colorful and. So we said, okay, let's let's just try and send emails. I mean, what does it cost? So we tried out, send emails, and uh, well, they they were like very open. Said, okay, well, that's cool. Thank you for contacting us. Yeah, very nice. And uh, can you give me your background? Okay, send your you you are not like nobody. And uh, okay, so send the game. We'll have a look at it. And uh, no, they were like very open, and they had. Uh, we, we are using uh, Unity to develop Monkey Pirates, so as they were uh, having a, a partnership with Unity, so that that was like uh, yeah the the beginning of the trip. So that's like that was like perfect moment for you guys because exactly yeah because if that partnership with Unity was there, it was was perhaps a little bit more tricky. It, it wasn't tricky. I mean, it was it, it yeah the the. Exactly, just like you said, that was just the perfect moment, I think, because those those partnerships with indie and uh, eShops and auto editing and uh, auto edition and everything were just the beginning. It's just the beginning of it. So we were in the pre-process of this thing, like opening the gates, you know, and uh, creating the pathways. And uh, yeah, I think they were, it it all went good so far. So far, so good, you could say. Exactly. Ex so, what does the future hold then for your studio when you are still looking at Monkey Pirates right now? Or see, are you a little bit looking at the future where you want to go? Because, of course, you started with a PC game and it went to a console game. Are you going to stick with consoles? Are you going to take a different route from here? What is your approach a little bit? Uh, the real approach is uh, finishing Wii U version of Monkey Pirates right now because we want it clean and uh, done because it's been like quite a while now that we're working on Monkey Pirates and uh, well for how long? To, uh, it's a year and a half now. Wow. A year and a half, a year to make the game and uh, six months like of uh, communication and uh, Wii U version and uh, stuff like this and polishing and debugging. And um, yeah, we all have uh, we we all have uh, our uh, work on the sides also. So yeah, it's hard to have everyone focus at the same times. And uh, 
working yeah. on everything. So the future is that we'll see how Monkey Pirates works, and uh, if it works good, then uh, we'll continue the adventure with the Henchman Studio and make another game, probably about something totally different, and uh, probably stick on console as well. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Because it it doesn't seem like PC was like your route to go currently. No, 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 it wasn't. But hey, why not? I, I mean, when you make a game for a console, it costs nothing to make it for a PC as well. Yeah, you develop yeah. on PC, you create everything over the PC. So it's mm-hmm. we will probably well, we will surely release a version of Monkey Pirates on PC and uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, sure, and of the next game as well. It will be a bit more tricky to get noticed because it's not coming to Steam. So, what are you planning then with the PC version? Then, are you? I don't know. Um, Alexandre, my, my co-founder, is, uh, knows some uh, some ways and some other um, distribution platforms and such, mm. uh, like just like Steam. And, uh, he has uh, it's it's knowledge. <laughs> yes. So it, it 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 will be like to be determined in that fashion. Yeah. Right yeah. now, it's not it's not very subtle. Is there anything else you want to tell about the game? Uh, I, f- I feel like um, I talked everything that I wanted to know about the title, but if there's anything that you feel should be discussed, I will give you the room to say anything. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, what what I would say is that uh, it's it's a, it's a, like we said all along the interview. It's it's a multiplayer game. It's not like the amazing solo experience around or the whatever. It's it's an indie game, but it's fun. It's easygoing, and uh, it's when you have some friends at home and you have your you there. It's it's fun. You can be it can be used in several ways, and yeah, we really we really enjoy it. playing it still now. We're working on it since one year and a half, but each time we have the opportunity, we make parties, and yeah, we have fun still playing it. So I hope you guys will enjoy it as well. I will definitely hope so. Well, then then there's only one thing to do then to thank you for being my guest on this interview. Thank you very much for inviting me, Irma. No problem at all. And when can people expect to hear more about the game, or when will the game launch? Everything will be launched in 2013, and uh, we will uh, we will try to stick together for communication and so uh, over our Twitter or Facebook or uh, internet websites. Okay, is there anything you want to plug, like uh, your Twitter page, for example? Uh, Twitter page is Henchman Studio, and uh, such as the Facebook Henchman Studio as well. And, uh, okay. Our site is henchmanstudio.com. So do it today, guys. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Hello, everyone. Uh, Dan here again. And we are here with another interview, uh, this time with... Sorry, how do you pronounce your company's name? Uh, It's Ludosity. Ludosity. And you already heard a a voice, and I'm here with uh, Jewel. Um, Hi. 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 Could you uh, kick things off by talking a bit about yourself? Well, my name is Joel. I run a studio here in Sweden, a little town called Skövde. Um, we've been around since 2008. Uh, we've been doing games across all different kinds of platforms. Uh, we've been at Steam and XPL, uh, XPLA, uh, Flash, 
3DS, uh, what else? Uh, so we've been pretty much all over the place with our games. Like every platform under the sun and more. Um, sort of, something yeah. like that. And we <laughs> yes. uh, basically, we make uh, very small games, which is why we can make so many. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we try to focus on um, just the pure, fun gameplay, and uh, we don't focus as much uh, on technology, actually. Okay. So, your company has done like uh, various things in the past, and I've looked at the website, I was kind of surprised surprised by the selection of games that you guys have done. Um, what are some of the highlights or standouts uh, personally? Uh, well, getting our very first game out uh, on Steam, uh, a game called Bob Came in Pieces, a PC game, um, a flying pos- physics platformer, mm-hmm. I um, and actually getting that out there uh, when we were just just starting out, that was great, um, mm-hmm. and then we uh, then we actually got to work on the 3DS. We made two games for it, and yes. we got to w- we started working on it before it was released. So we had uh, the dev kit and everything, and that was kind of like a dream come true. Uh, working with Nintendo hardware before it was even released, that w- that was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and we made uh, Magic uh, together with Paradox for tablets. And that was also pretty great to work on on that IP together with a a big publisher. That was great. That's certainly something you've done some nice things here and there. Um, so one thing, so one game I've actually recently tried of yours is like Alien Chaos 3D. Yeah. Yeah, which uh, was quite interesting in itself, like uh, running and gunning through these smaller areas and cleaning with walls where you were standing to uh, keep yourself alive. So that was certainly something. Yeah, it started out as uh, an Xbox Live Indie game. Um, actually, it started out as a Game Jam game, but then we made it for Xbox Live Indie games, and it was a two-player co-op game where mm-hmm. one was uh, this main character, uh, this uh, macho man, a really shooter, plus the other guy was uh, his mama, uh, the, <laughs> the, cl- the cleaning lady. Uh, so there was a, a very uh, dynamic relationship between the two in the first game. Uh, in, and then in the second game for the 3DS, uh, we made it single player, uh, but uh, it's uh, it's much tighter still because uh, the first game had had some problems. Yeah, uh, it, it, yeah, it was definitely tight. I had a lot of fun playing it. It, it was a bit short, definitely, but it, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um. So, with your newest venture, it's 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 once again like quite something different because you take a stab at older like 2D Legend of Zelda games with uh, little do. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's it's very much a homage to to Zelda and to our. Uh, our childhoods, basically, it's it's a it's a big love letter to those games. Uh, but at the same time, we're not afraid to uh, just pick apart the things that are inherently wrong with that old design and throw it out and in with the new. Like we, uh, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the inventory system, for example, in the Zelda games because they, they kind of get in the way of the action, going up into the menus and selecting an item and go down again and stuff like that. So so those are the kind of things that we wanted to streamline. Uh, we also streamlined the the story. Uh, 
because basically we removed the story uh, and uh, we also try to be as non-intrusive as possible with with the actual uh, dialogues and, and the story snippets uh, because we just want to get down to the action. That's actually something we should, we should go back a little bit later to explain what the game actually is to people because that's something else. But I first want to quickly mention because we're now going up to that issue I was like really uh, I played a little bit on Steam and what I was impressed by was like the humor in the game because it takes some serious sta stabs at like adventure type tropes um, like one of my favorites and I, I I actually do feel bad for just spoiling a single joke <laughs> I feel I feel actually really really bad about doing so <laughs> but like the the main character like picks up a heart and starts this they're, they're discussing the the weird ethics of that. Yeah, uh, but when you really look at the old games, they are stupid like that. It's just yeah. that they, they they don't mention how stupid they are. Uh, like in let's say uh, Chrono Trigger, for example, you go into a house and uh, you just break into someone's house and you open their drawer and you take a tonic and and then you ask the lady there you know what's the quickest route to the next boss and and, and you know the normal response would be get the fuck out of my house and stop stealing my things <laughs> uh, but so, so the old games are doing all of these really weird things and uh, so we try to have fun with those yeah so it's kind of drawing inspiration from like the stupid stuff you just encountered in your childhood yeah yeah it, it that, that does make a lot of sense because i i i, I was just just laughing at it. I was like, I'm, I just picked up this heart from the ground. Don't pick up stuff on the ground. Uh, five second rule. Yeah. So yeah, that that's um, that's thanks to uh, Daniel. Uh, he's he's the one that wrote the entire script. Uh, he's very funny. Well, he must get a lot of praise for that because <laughs> it's 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 certainly something. Um, but uh, going a bit back then. Um, could you give like listeners like a brief overview of what the game is all about? What do you do in the game? What happens? Sure. Et cetera, so et cetera. I'd like to start like I'm I'm a game designer, so I'd like to start like structurally to describe it as actually it's a it's a Metroidvania mm -hmm. more more than a Zelda game. Yeah. Um, in the sense that uh, there's a lot of um, uh, backtracking and and. Uh, um, you go you go back and forth in this great big castle and you you try to well basically find keys for doors which are disguised as as items uh so so that's the main game and and, and also we very early on we we wanted to focus on speed running which is a thing that we all love here at ludosity and uh so so the game is designed to be extremely open ended in its level design um, and uh, allow for m many different routes and uh, it's sort of designed to actually be broken uh, like if you play if you speed run Super Metroid really really hard then you will break it apart to, to get the best time and, and we sort of we encourage that in, in our game like with the level design how it's uh, laid out so, so, so that's how we went about the game when we started that was our first um, angle into into started making this game so but the game is is very obviously it looks like a Zelda game uh, it's a top-down 2d adventure game uh, Idle and her partner uh, Tipsy is out 
sailing the seas, they're back from their last great adventure, uh, but they fall asleep and they crash onto an island. And um, this girl, Idle, she she's up for adventure, so she says, "What the heck? Let's check this island out." And um, the game is uh, is basically about uh, getting their stuff back, uh, fixing their raft to get off the island again. So yeah. so it's it, it's a bit of a it's a very small adventure game set on an island where you find a couple of items and uh, basically uh, mutilate the natives and steal their stuff. <laughs> like every good old adventure <laughs> game does. Exactly. Exactly. So, like, getting the raft together, it, it seems like easy, but it doesn't look easy as it sounds because you have to go through these various chambers to collect, to get money in, to collect this artifact to get to this pirate to actually yeah. build your raft so it, it's kind of backwards but but the basic structure of the game is that instead of finding items uh, in in chests or whatever like you do in Zelda uh, you buy them in the store and you find money in the chest so yeah th this this uh, this makes it more open-ended so you can choose which item that you buy next uh, and you can also choose not to buy all of them uh, so, so you kind of you, you kind of make your own uh, route through this uh, island and this castle. Yeah. Uh, for example, you could go for the even the most expensive item. You can go for that first. Uh, it's very difficult to find enough money to find to to purchase it, but it's possible. Um, but there's also this normal route that where you buy the cheapest one and then you progress from there. Um, so. So it's it's kind of uh, flipped in that sense from from a Zelda game or a or a Metroidvania. Yeah, what what I actually found interesting is so I decided to purchase an item. It would send me to the location yeah. where where to actually find the item and go through like an additional dungeon, which I found an interesting structure actually. Yeah, we we spend a lot of time trying to decide uh, how to structure that. Uh, this was not the first iteration of, of, of that design, mm. uh, but we ended up doing it like that because it actually posed the least problems. All the other ways would would have some some other problems with it. Yeah. But so it, it, it is designed like focusing and solving like these these puzzles. Um, how does it? How do you keep like gamers engaged for such a do course because the game is meant to be played like again and again. Um, do you feel like it, it, this can be accomplished by simply by just replaying the game and just seeing how you easy you can make it? Or, um, well, uh, as I said, it, it's it's made for speed running. So so uh, if you, for example, if you find a very a very nice route through the game, you will not have seen most of the game. Yeah, uh, and even uh, even normal players will probably miss way more than half of the game the first time they play through. Um, mm -hmm. So we we made it is a it is a fairly short game, but we made a lot more content than most reviewers think. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't hundred percent it, uh, you're not gonna see even even half of it probably. Yes. Um, so. Um, but that that's perfectly all right. I mean, we 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 made we made every puzzle that we could think of, but we only made them once. Mm -hmm. um, so 
uh, a lot of the more difficult ones we had to put like they are so insanely difficult we had to put them in the master cave um, so it's but I don't think I don't feel that we wasted any any content or yeah, yeah so that's, that's worked out I think okay. that's perfectly fine um, so an interesting thing about this is that like you have leaderboards in this game and I don't know if they, they those will continue over to also to the Wii U version um, yeah we hope so yeah um, in which ways can players then compete and make them come back for more well uh, uh, as I said um, well <laughs> isn't it obvious uh, we, we, we just cater to 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 those I mean it, it's not a large uh, group that love to speedrun games, but for yeah. for those that do, we just wanted to make a game that that really catered to them. Uh, if, if you if you are more of a normal player, you will probably not uh, get that much out of those leaderboards. Mm -hmm. To be honest, but I, I definitely can see like if people just play it three or four times and they just see, okay, I know this game well enough, just just see how far I can take it. Yeah, uh, I mean, sh shaving off a couple of seconds of your own route, that's, I think it's super rewarding, and I do that all the time. Uh, but uh, it's also kind of, I'm, I'm kind of scared when I play a, a completely new game, when I see the leaderboards and I see the competition, like, I'm never ever going to get there. I'm not, don't even, I don't even want to try, like, getting into Dota 2 or StarCraft or something. It's such an uphill battle to get good at it, but to shave seconds of of your own time uh, that's something that I can totally get into e even if I can see that the world record is is like half of what I do mm -hmm. so the, the game has an interesting look to it like with all the game graphics like being more having this drone style to it uh, what made you decide for such a direction for this game uh, it's actually I think the fourth art direction for the game Oh wow! Uh, yeah, okay. it, uh, so the first two looks were pixel-based. Mm -hmm. So we started making the game uh, actually for Xbox, uh, Xbox Live Indie Games. We started making it way back, many years ago, uh, in a pixel style. Yes. Um, and it was pretty good, uh, but uh, it, it was it wasn't perfect. And then. I asked for a new one and we did a new one and then it wasn't really perfect and then I asked for a third one and the team started to get like pretty upset with me because they had to throw out everything yeah. and start and start over um, and it's really really hard uh, to, to to throw out so much stuff that you have done um, but it just wasn't perfect you know so I kept pushing and um, we uh, switched from pixel to a hand-drawn style and then we added this wobbliness uh, and then we quickly realized that you can use this wobbliness uh, as, as, a, as a sign for interaction as well because things that don't wobble in the game uh, is non-interactive yes uh, so so you, you can clearly see what you can interact with and that helps with the design uh, and also the game I think it looks pretty good so it was a lot of hard work and difficult decisions, but uh, we just kept at it until it really clicked, and now everybody's super happy that we we uh, spent so much time with it.
it definitely seems like going through those trials and tribulations with that art style, there's something else that made it made the game like a better. It 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 feels like more of its own like identity. Yeah, and, yeah. I I think a lot of the uh, the humor and and the uh, the uh, sort of not the story but but the in the uh, writing of the game. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of the writing of the game came from actually it grew from that style that and from those characters that uh, got a new life with a new art direction. So, so it yeah. helped, as you say, it did help with other things as well. It made the game feel more complete in that fashion. Yeah, yeah, that's great to hear. Um, so, I, w I want to move like a bit beyond the game. Um, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe that this is the first time, like, that your studio has self-published something on the Nintendo system. Uh, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Um, the the game you mentioned, Alien Chaos, is is our game, but it, it was published by Reef uh, and another mm -hmm. company. Yes. Uh, and this game, this time around, actually, that's very interesting because uh, there's a definite trend with Nintendo and Sony and now Microsoft as well that to open up for that uh, to make yeah. it e easier for studios like us uh, and. Um, if you look at the launch lineup for Wii U, there were maybe five or six in the games on day one. Uh, I think, so. yeah, I think six, yes. Yeah, and yes. Uh, and that's really, I mean, that that's that that wasn't surprising to me at all because we've been talking with Nintendo for a while now, and they are just super open and and very interested in in, um, in having all kinds of content. That's great to hear. Um, so, how is then working with Nintendo, and how open are they allowing then games on your system? Because I can imagine uh, you just talked about how um, they they directly want you to be involved. How does that feel then to, for example, like be in that Nintendo Direct video or um, getting like getting the word out there about your game? Um, th that that was just awesome. Um, another little like a little dream come true to to be actually promoted by Nintendo that's that's uh, that's fantastic uh, it's also kind of funny because we've been uh, getting a lot of Zelda clone uh, cryouts on the forums and stuff and uh, in, in particular we sometimes hear people saying oh Nintendo should give these guys a call as in they should sue us because it's so similar to Zelda uh, when in fact Nintendo did give us a call uh, but to actually promote us, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the most ironic thing, isn't it? So they they certainly don't have any problems with the, this game. I actually pitched. This is funny. I don't know if it's a secret, but I'm gonna say it anyway. I actually pitched this game as a Zelda game to Nintendo at one point, and they said, "Well, we like to make Zelda games internal, but but thank you very much. You can you, you're welcome to release it as is for yourself." Hmm, that's 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 a very interesting thing. So they were extremely open in that fashion. That's great to hear. Um, so having like your first endeavor with self-publishing is it is it is it something exciting for you? Is it something from your entering? Because previously on these systems, you you have been working with a publisher. Is it something you were really excited about to to happen? Uh, it's actually well, yes and no. Uh, yes. Okay. Because we've been self-publishing for a while. Our first game 
we self-published on Steam in 2009. So <laughs> we've been doing that process for a while, and it's interesting because now, if you look at, if you compare, for example, the Wii U with Steam, yes, it's actually easier to publish on Wii U than on Steam. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, so we were actually more excited to to uh, get through all that uh, th that kind of process with Steam and Valve uh, because we were extremely nervous if we we were going to have to go through Greenlight or not. That's a very interesting thing. I have been talking to people who have been busy with with Greenlight, and they were like very anxious about it and they feel like Nintendo gave them more openness which is for, for, especially for like the digital front is like really encouraging to hear yeah uh, the thing about Greenlight is that you just don't know um, yeah. there, are, there aren't any clear answers and they seem to be changing their policy and their CEO is saying one thing and, and they are acting in another way and uh, it, it, so yes I think a lot of developers are anxious about Greenlight right now. Yes. Um, so what does the future then hold for your company? Because um, Little Duel, is, I think, is still like a little while off to coming to Wii U, if I'm correct. Yeah, we, we're definitely going to be out this year. Uh, definitely, okay. Uh, and we're working as hard and, and as fast as we can, but uh, it's too early to say exactly when we're going to be done. Uh, mm. But we're shooting for, well, definitely, uh, at the very least, uh, a Christmas launch. Uh, and then we're actually doing It'll Do on tablets as well. Oh, wow. So we're, we're still working full-time with, with It'll Do. Uh, we're going to be doing that for a while. Uh, and after that, we actually have more games set in the same universe, but completely different genres. So we, we're going to try to stay with this particular uh, universe, these characters and, and this world, um, and try to build an entire world off of it. That's certainly something else then. Um, because it, one of the most of your games, I think, except for like Alien Chaos, because one of the games was released on indie and the other was on 3DS, this, this, this seems like most of your games were one-offs, and this seems like a new start for you guys then. It really is, and, and, and it's, it's more actually, it's kind of a strategic move, because while we, we do love jumping from one thing to the next, and we have so many ideas and so many characters, and that, that's why we have made so many different types of games, but it's also it, it's it's not so good uh, for you know our brand recognition mm -hmm. because um, I mean basically we don't have any because uh, one game is on the 3DS and one game is on the Xbox Live Indie game and and one is on Steam and there's no synergy between them, so we want all of the games to sit next to each other and be. Mm -hmm be, you know, sort of ludosity. Uh, so that's the plan going forward. So it's also, so are you then also thinking about releasing like those next games in that same universe also on a Nintendo system or is that like still up in the air and like future music which I'm now talking about? Uh, it, it's not decided. Okay. Uh, and, and certainly uh, we would want to, uh, mm -hmm. but it, it's a matter of costs as well. So Yeah. Uh, uh, but um, 
if if we have a, a game made with Unity that is suited for console, then it's it's a no-brainer to put it on Wii U. Well, that's that's at least a comfortable feeling to hear. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything else that that you want to mention about the game? Because I feel like I have talked enough with speaking about my questions and my feelings, but if there is something else that you want to bring to the table, you're more than welcome to do so. Um, well, I think I've covered most of it. Um, I I would love for people to just try it. I mean, there there's if, if you have an OYA, you could uh, download the demo and try it. Um, and we hopefully we're gonna put the demo also on on PC soon. Um, and we work actually we're working on all kinds of stuff. We we're working on getting the Linux version out now. We're okay. work, working on getting both Linux and Mac with full Steamwork support. Uh, we are heavily thinking about adding Workshop, uh, opening up for uh, community maps oh, wow. uh, for the game. Uh, we're doing it on tablets. Uh, we're doing it on Wii U. So, I mean, we're doing so many things with the games right now. Uh, and uh, I think most of what I mentioned is going to be done before this year. So you're going to have a busy couple of months ahead then? Yeah, very busy, as yes. always. That's always important for a company to always stay afloat and do new things with the things you love. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, then only Westman to thank you for this interview. Well, thank you. It was great fun. Hello, everyone. And we're here with like yet another interview. It seems like a marathon or something. I don't know about you guys. Um... With me, uh, we have two guests this time, not one, but two. Imagine that. Uh, first off, we have uh, Nick Watt from No. Hello. Hello. How are, you, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. Great to be here with you again, Dan. Yes, that. well, now on a different channel. We did a few interviews, like, way back on different channels, but now we are here on Nintendo World Report, which is mm. more prestige, you could say. Yeah. Yes. Uh, like a platinum sliver or something. I don't know. Um, and then we have like something new to introduce. Um, Seon Rosenblum, is that correct? That's correct. Great. Um, so we all know about uh, Nick and and Bruce all their antics at No, but uh, we have here a new voice. So I want to give him the chance to um, t talk a bit about himself. Okay, thanks Dan. Um, so my name's Sion and I'm from Three Sprockets in Melbourne, Australia. We're an independent um, video game developer and um, one of our, uh, or our current flagship game, Cuban 2, we've just announced um, is going to be shipping for the Wii U, which is super exciting. It is. Um, so can you tell me what you have all like worked on in Free Sprockets? Because um, we know about Cute Men and Cute Men 2, but have you work also worked on other things in the past? Well, uh, before Three Sprockets, I had a, a different game, game company called Sector 3, um, mm -hmm. which we were also an independent studio. We launched about uh, 15 or 16 different titles back then. Um, oh, wow. Probably our most popular was our Stunt Mania games, um, physics car racing games. Um, mm -hmm. But in 2009, I actually sold that company and started Three Sprockets, and Q-Men was our first game, uh, then obviously Q-Men 2, and we're currently also working on a new title, um, but Q-Men yes. Q 2 is our 
main priority right now. Okay. So, like, so Cubeman 2, like the, just like the name applies, had an original title like before. Could you talk about how the game came about and how that led into like creating like the sequel? For sure. Um, I've always lo loved tower defense games. Um, I'm a big fan. And one day I was sitting around with a friend. We were actually at a games conference in, in Melbourne called Free Play. Um, and we actually weren't going to the, the talks. We were sitting in the, the library discussing what a cool tower defense game would be. And we came up with this idea of instead of having static towers, what about having movable towers? Um, and then we evolved that into little men that moved around the level. So I'm a big believer in trying to mash up different types of genres. So I thought that mixing uh, tower defense and RTS would be a really nice kind of mix. So I, um, we, we started work straight away. Well, I started work straight away. Cubeman 1 was pretty much made just by me. Um, and uh, we managed to get it on Steam, which was fantastic, and, you know, uh, and on iOS and on the Mac uh, with Apple. And it did really, really well. And we built a, a really strong online community with it. Um, and, the, the, you know, I always said to myself when I was making the game that, you know, if I ever had the chance to redo this, I'd do it differently, <laughs> you know, as you do when you're developing any game. And um, the opportunity came up for, for me to look at doing Cubeman 2, which ended up being a complete rewrite of the, of the entire game. And, um, and it's been great, you know. We've got way more game modes and the level editor is much better and the, the gameplay is, you know, much more strategic. Um, and it's been accepted really well. It, it, there are things that we're all going to come back to later in the interview, but um, I feel sorry that Nick is not getting a question currently as well. That's all right. Uh, that's... <laughs> it's all about Cube, man. No, don't worry. <laughs> it's all good. Okay, great. Um, so one of the first thing, things I've noticed between the two games is that the art style is kind of similar, but at the same time, like the characters in Cubeman 2 have more of an identity. Uh, absolutely. Um, one of the with, with the original game, we wanted to keep it all about the strategy, and, and we, we deliberately went for that you know, kind of grey and monotone art style because um, we wanted to keep the focus on gameplay. But our, our biggest request from the community from day one was different character skins. Um, it was, you know, thousands of requests. So that was our, one of our key features for Cube Men 2 was the ability to actually pick a, a particular theme for your units and a level theme as well. Um, and that's been accepted really well. But we still kept the simplicity of the, the visuals and keep the focus on the gameplay. Well, definitely. So, uh, like you said, the game is a 3D tower defense game, but it has some also some real-time like strategy quantities to it. Um, could you give like a brief overview from how like a match in the game progresses? Because I think um, people will get have an idea, but not like a, great, a big focus of what the game all entails. For sure. Okay, so there are uh, the current version ships with five game modes, although the, the version coming out for the Wii U is going to have some more game modes in it. Um, and there are some specific single player modes, which is very similar to just normal tower defense, which we call the defense mode. Um, but we've also taken RTS gameplay type mechanics and even some first person shooter gameplay mechanics and uh, for the multiplayer mode. So for instance, you can play in skirmish, it's actually two-way tower defense. So while your mobs are going out to attack someone else's base, someone else's mobs is coming to, uh, coming to attack your base. And so what you're basically doing is you're moving, you're buying and moving your units around the level to, to attack enemies, to defend against your own base, 
to attack other bases. It's, um, it's a very fast-moving game. Um, you know, it's one of those games, if you, if you sit for, you know, two or three minutes without actually moving any units around, you're probably going to lose. Um, it's very fast-paced. But it, the, the whole yeah, thing... Yeah, it's, it's all, hard. It's, it's hard. It's, it's a um, newbie, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you jump right into, a, like, a six-player multiplayer game, it can, it can be very daunting. Um, we try to encourage people to run through the, the real-time tutorials that we've got, the interactive tutorials, and then take it slow <laughs> in the gameplay. It, it's very much a, um, a, a full-on game. You get thrown into it straight away. But it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, th there are some, like, single-player modes. So you t just talked about defense, but there's also something, for example, called rescue, that, correct? That's right. Rescue is... Um, what we've tried to do is mix up the whole genre, right? You know, it, it's all the same mechanic. So you're always buying units, moving units around, upgrading them, selling them, um, changing your strategies on gameplay. So, but with rescue, what you do is you have, you have to um, escort your civilians back to your base. So the enemies are trying to kill your civilians, you're trying to get them back to your base and you score points based on how many you rescue. So it becomes very much like a VIP type of game as opposed to just a, an offensive or defensive game. Um, the other thing we did with all our multiplayer games is they're all playable as single player and you play against the AI instead of other human beings. And we've made the AI quite hard to play against. Um, you know, depending on how good you are in a strategy game, you know, it, you might find it easy, you might find it hard. Um, we've got a lot of variations of difficulty with the actual AI, but they're pretty good. I mean, the AI know how to attack and defend, how to heal their units, how to upgrade their units, how to um, target individual units and go after them. You know, it's, it's pretty smart. Mm -hmm. It, it, this, it makes it also like difficult to balance because for some games, it always you can see like through the computer through its flaws, like what, the same mistakes or same things they do. Um, do you feel like you have made that correct balance then for people who just want to like practice in single player? Well, balance is very hard uh, with a game like this because there's always going to be completely different skill levels between two different users. So what we've done is given players a, a very detailed setup. Uh, ability for each game, so they can choose things like you know how many AI they want to play against, how many, uh, what difficulty the AI is, uh, how many, how much time or how many waves, things like that. So if they want to play a really intense hard game, they can do like a, a sudden death type scenario against some really hard AI. That way, if you make one mistake, it's game over. If they want to play a game where they want to be introduced slowly, they can play only against one AI and you know give themselves you know. 50 lives and, and, you know, there's plenty of opportunity to make mistakes and learn in gameplay. So we've tried to give enough variation for a lot of different people because balance is very hard with a game like this. Mm -hmm. So moving a bit onto multiplayer because I feel like that's there one where the big focus li lies in the game. Um, Definitely. So yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for confirming it. Um, you have... Three modes um, I, I've seen like in the information, which are skirmish, capture the flag, and there was one more territory. Uh, we talked about skirmish a little bit. Um, what do the other two like entail? Okay, so capture the flag is like it sounds. You've got a flag on your base. Uh, the other players or AI have flags on their base, and what you do is you send out a, a unit called a chuck. Uh, we, all our units have got uh, nicknames. Uh, his name is Chuck, and um, he goes out and targets a base that you've selected to grab the flag and bring it back to your base. And 
at the same time AI are going after your flag. So it's literally first person to get five flags or ten flags, just like a normal first person shooter, capture the flag scenario. But the nice thing is you get a whole army at your disposal. So you can set up units to defend and set up units to attack. You can set up units to escort your chuck and things like that. So it's a lot of fun. Territory is actually really a, a really different game. It's probably one of our, our uh, most popular at the moment. You're basically, as you move your units around the level, it turns the level your tile color. So it's kind of like a domination type game where you have to have as much of the level your color as possible. So not only are you going after enemies and attacking them and they're attacking you, but you also need to keep all your units moving because you might take some of the level and then another player comes along and t steals it off you. So it's a constantly moving gameplay where um, at the end of the game, whoever's got the most level their colour wins. Um, it's very hard, it's kind of stressful to play because it's constantly moving, but it's really it's, rewarding. It's like the most strategic gameplay mode in entire package, it seems. Absolutely, absolutely. And, yeah. um, and um, hey, Nick, am I allowed to talk about any of the new game modes? Yeah, I was just going to suggest that. We've, um, so, Sion, um, since we've kind of started working together on us bringing the, the game to, to, to the Wii U, I've kind of been, we've been chatting and bouncing ideas back and forward, and Sion's um, adding some cool new stuff to the game. Okay, so, yeah, we've, um, so th we're doing a, a pretty big update that's going to be across the board. Because obviously all the, all the versions have to be the same on all platforms to allow all the, the multiplayer gameplay. Um, so we've got two new game modes that we've got coming in. Uh, the first one's King of the Hill. So basically you've got a base, there's a designated hill, and all the players need to occupy that hill. So whoever's got the most units on that base takes the game out at the end. So it's similar to Territory, um, but it's a, again a, a very popular game mode in other different games. Um, so that's a lot of fun. We've also got a new one called Defector, which is really interesting. So in Defector, when you kill an enemy unit, they don't die. They go onto your team and they start fighting, start fighting for you. So what you get is you've got a limited number of units that you can buy. It's like a, a chess game. Um, you, you can currently only buy one of each unit type. That's it. And it doesn't cost you anything. You've got those. You can you can buy them whenever you want. It's up to you if you want to buy quickly or if you want to space them out. And then the whole gameplay revolves around defecting units, so killing as many units as you can and getting them on your team. And every time you kill a unit and put them on your team, their health gets restored back to 100%. So they become a brand new player for you. Um, it's a really again a very challenging uh, gameplay mode, but it's very different to all the other modes that we've got. So what we're trying to do is, is introduce enough gameplay variation to suit all different types of players. Yeah, yeah. Um, so going back further into the multiplayer, what I find interesting is that the game features like multiplayer across like a variety of platforms. So my big question would be then, how do you get away with something like that? Okay, oh, I guess there's two parts here. I'll uh, answer the, the technical side and then Nick can talk about Nintendo specifically. Um, so we use Unity, uh, which is a, a game engine, and the, the engine itself is cross-platform compatible. Um, designing a game to actually be cross-platform compatible even without network play is quite hard because you've got obviously different device capabilities, different resolutions, all sorts of you know, different input devices. But once you add uh, multiplayer into 
that mix, it becomes harder again because you need to support desktop compatibility with iOS and, and so forth. But um, it, it, it's, a, it's a challenge. It's, um, you know, Cubin wasn't my first multiplayer game, but it's definitely Cubin 1 and 2 were the broadest range of cross-platform that we've done. Um, now, getting that onto a Nintendo platform was a, an interesting challenge, and I'll let Nick jump in on that one. Yeah, so I mean, what, um, uh, there's a couple of things Sion's probably not touched on there. What, um, um, so Sion's using external servers um, for a lot of the gameplay and for um, where all the user-generated content is stored. So that's kind of what makes it um, simple for the other machines to kind of, you know, they all communicate to the same server. So what we've done is we've worked with Sion um, and Nintendo to try and um, make this happen on the Wii U. Now, obviously, it's been quite a long process because it's not something Nintendo or many many of the console manufacturers have done before. Um, but we've obviously worked quite closely with Nintendo for quite a few years, built up some really good relationships with them, um, and we we kept an, we've been keeping an eye on Cube Man and Cube Man Two for quite a while now, um, and and really liked the game. Um, and wanted to do something with it and kind of this year we sort of thought there might be a good opportunity so that's why we, we started speaking to Sion um, about you know bringing it to, to the Wii U and expa expanding the audience out onto, out onto console so then um, yeah so then then we just um, spoke to Nintendo and there's obviously a lot of technical stuff that you have to go through and make sure that they're happy that um, you're not, we're not exposing the console to anything nasty and we're not exposing the users to anything nasty um, particularly because it's got user generated content in it um, so there's a bunch of work we've had to do there and obviously, you know, discussions with Seal and then discussions with Nintendo to make sure that's, that's all cool. But the basic upshot, upshot is, is that if you're on the Wii U, you'll be able to play multiplayer games against anyone else who's playing um, Cube Man 2 on, on, on any platform. Um, so you'll, you'll maybe start a game and then other people on PC and, and iPhone um, or Mac or Linux and can join you or other Wii U users or vice versa you can search for matches and you know you can join any of the matches that are publicly available and the same when you create a level um, your level will be shared with everyone around the world as well. That's something quite amazing. Um, that's also another thing so the level comes with a level creator so that, that suit of options is also available to the Wii U version? That's correct. Yeah. 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 The Wii U, yeah. Wii U version will ship with complete feature parity to all other platforms. That's, that's quite impressive. Um, and it's a, it's a very good level editor. I mean, there's a lot you can do, um, and you can create all of the the game modes um, that we you know you've already covered in both single player. In fact, I think pretty much every map that you create has to support those modes, doesn't it, Seal? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, the with Cubeman One, we we segregated the the different level types, but that caused us more grief than anything else. So with Cubeman Two, every level is playable in every particular game mode. So um, and we've already got. Uh, as of this morning, over four and a half thousand user levels in the database already. So there's going to be a huge range of levels for the Wii U users to tap into. And the actual level editor... Sorry, go. Sorry, Nick? No, no. No, no, I was just saying that the, the, the 4,000 levels are already there, plus anything that gets created between now and, and, and then as well. It's amazing. Absolutely. I've, I've been looking at the website and... Just getting a glimpse of what's out there makes me already kind of interested in like playing it now, because uh, I, I I believe I can just purchase it on Steam and just get going already. So who knows? Absolutely, it's currently on Steam and it, and obviously uh, iOS as well. Uh, we're looking at um, supporting Android down the line as well, and oh. possibly some other platforms. So the world's just becoming a little bit bigger by the moment. Absolutely, world domination with Cubemen. Well, maybe not, but anyway, that's, that's okay. 
supporting everything if it's possible. Yeah. I mean, the, I, I have to say the Wii U's been quite an exciting platform for us. It's, um, it's a, a surprisingly well-powered device. Um, you know, we've, we've, it's, it's handled everything we've thrown at it, which has been great. So the, um, you know, we're, you know, obviously when you're developing for iOS, you need to develop for high-end and low-end, you know, hardware and devices. Uh, but the Wii U, it's actually, um, we're pretty impressed, I have to say. And um, we're, we're pushing our visuals as far as we can. And uh, the gameplay is really good. It's really responsive. Um, I never thought I'd say it, but I actually really enjoy playing it with the stylus, playing the game. It's, um, it's, it's quite, <laughs> quite intuitive. You get with the stylus. <laughs> yeah, I've always been um, anti-stylus, but stylus is really cool. And um, the level it is really intuitive on the, on the, the Wii U as well. It's, like, it's a really nice experience. Yeah, I, I played it. Um, Sion sent me a build a couple of days ago, and I was having um, a go at it. And I, I really like what they've done with the controls on the Wii U version. The fact that you can um, pan the camera or, or, or tilt the camera um, while you're still interacting with all the units and things, um, it, it's really, it feels really intuitive. It's really, really nice. Um, and being able to do it all on the gamepad screen. It, it, there was a, you posted the picture on the on the on the Twitter page. Yeah, that was that was that's the the build that Sion set. I think it was a couple of days ago now, wasn't it? It was just just basically got it up and running, um, and sent me a build. So Bruce took grabbed a quick screenshot of it, of one of the games that was running. So is is it progressing nicely? You could say. Uh, very nicely. Yes, very nicely. It's uh, doing really well. Obviously, we you know we're keeping release dates under wraps at the moment. Um, and there's, um, you know, there's always work to do to make sure that things are, you know, fully stable and, um, you know, bug-free. But overall, it's uh, we're extremely happy with with how the porting's progressing. Yeah, it's been surprisingly quick, actually. I mean, obviously, Unity has been um, a big thing for Nintendo, um, and they've been working, I think, quite closely with Unity for quite a while now. Um, and you know, there's all like anything, you know, there's always things that you have to, to go back and ask for and, and you know things that you have to work around but um it's been the progress has been surprisingly quick I've been amazed by how quickly Sion and his team have, have turned things around that's because we don't sleep we just work <laughs> you don't seem to sleep <laughs> no no sleeping's such a waste of time and so is eating eating's a waste of time too so oh dear <laughs> um so Nick going to you this is like the company's first like publishing endeavor, isn't it? Uh, yeah, so it's something that we've kind of talked about for a while. I mean, obviously, as a company, we're quite small. There's not, there's only um, sort of three of us full time, and then we we bring contractors on uh, as we need. Um, and you know, we've spent well since 2007. Our relationship with Nintendo's kind of grown and grown and grown. Uh, and then the last sort of three or four years, we've been doing the same with Sony now. So we kind of thought that there's a lot of developers in Australia specifically, um, but it, obviously around the world as well, that um, find it very difficult to get onto console. And for for Australian developers, like I'm not sure if many people are aware, but Australia had a big focus a couple of like for the last sort of ten or fifteen years um, on third party development. So they would there would be a lot. There was quite a few big, really big studios, you know, employing a couple hundred people who would make really big console games. Um, and they would obviously get, you know, the EAs, the Ubisofts or whatever would come over and, and, and give their money to make those games for them and then publish them. But um, when the the big global financial crisis hit, the Australian dollar um, wasn't really affected. And so everything became, it became much more expensive to make games in Australia, which meant a lot of people then 
um, that a lot of these studios closed down. So that's resulted in a lot of people making, you know, starting up their own companies, which is great. But a lot of those people have not been able to get on consoles, so they've 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 been on iOS and done really well, and they've been on um, PC and Mac and also done really well. So we we just kind of thought, well, why don't we bring our expertise of of the marketing and our, our contacts. Um, at, at Nintendo and also our, our expertise of, of working on console and try and help um, developers get onto these platforms so that not not so that they necessarily stop doing it on iOS or, or Mac or PC but just so that there's there's more diversity because our, our concern is you know if, if everyone's focused on one platform and that platform fails then we're back in the same situation as when we had all these big developers and and, and, and they collapse so we're just trying to kind of offer diversity um, and help broaden the games industry in Australia, really. It was kind of surprising in your way, because uh, I saw, of course, the name pop up during the Nintendo record. I think you were one of the first in that video. <laughs> yeah, we were. So, yeah, so I was just solely focusing on the known name. It was like, what's going on? And then, then Bruce in that press release, like, directly after the direct. So, um, that was it was just a surprising turnaround to just see... Um, just from from my perspective, going from a developer to also like supporting like other developers, which is intriguing in its own right, of course. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think everyone knows we're really big Nintendo fans, and we really like um, console in general. Like, we, I'm totally in love with the PlayStation Four and the Wii U at the moment, as we said. Um, and I, I want to see more games on it. And Cube, you know, Cube Man is a game that's been on our radar for a while. Cube Man Two is a really great game. Um, and so we just started having a chat with with Sion. And, and to see how it would work because what's important for us is we, we want to make sure we're a small company we want to make sure that it's a really good um, quality products that, that we're publishing um, and that the people that we work with are really good and easy to work with because you know we can't afford um, to spend all our time um, on the publishing side because we've got our games to make as well so we need people who are you know are capable of, of you know um, doing doing their work but also, um, you know, we'll support them as and when as and when we we can. And, and so far, that relationship with Sion's has been great. Yeah, I think from my point of view, one of the, the key things is, I mean, becoming certified for consoles is not hard these days. It's much easier than it, it used to be. Um, but getting your, your product seen on a console is quite hard. It's like any platform, right? I mean, anyone can publish a game on iOS, but getting featured by Apple will decide whether you, you know, are successful or not. Um, so it was kind of a, an easy decision for us. If we're going to go Wii U, we might as well hand over the whole uh, the publishing and marketing side to, to the no guys because they, they've got existing relationships with the platform holders. They've got a really good track record with their own product on there. Um, and it just made sense for us. <laughs> yeah, well, we, so we're finding that happens with a, with a lot of developers. A lot of developers are really, really good at the development side. But you know, the amount of time that you have to spend um, going to E3, going to GDC, going to Gamescom, you know, doing all of these things to market to the platform holders like Sony and Nintendo to build up those relationships, we kind of thought, well, it, it seems really silly for every small developer in Australia to be spending, you know, 10 $10,000, $20,000 a year to, to do all of that when we could do that um, and supply, you know, help supply a service to those people that, that, are, that are willing um, to do it. Plus also, you know, things like um, to kind of blow our own trumpet a little bit, um, the cross-platform um, online play for, on Wii U I don't think many developers who are the first time out the door on, on, on a Nintendo machine or, or, or on the PlayStation, I don't think they would get 
um, that sort of approval because you really need to know the platform, you really need to know how to speak to the right people, um, how to ask the questions and, and how to create that conversation. So, you know, I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I'd like to think that, you know, we, that was a big thing that we helped um, secure for Cubemen 2 that perhaps Sion might not have been able to do himself. Oh, that was a huge thing. I mean, for me personally, I never would have expected ever that Nintendo would have agreed to this. Um, you know, whether they should or shouldn't, whether they need to, you know, whether all the console providers need to kind of move ahead with the future or not is beside the point. At the end of the day, I never would have expected in a million years that Nintendo would have said yes. So that's a huge win for the no guys. Yeah, to be one of the first titles to do it, particularly, you know, a, an independent title. I mean, obviously, there's other bigger titles that are coming out. Uh, I think um, Disney Infinity um, has some sort of cross-platform play. But, you know, there's been very few in the past, and most of them um, have been by really, really big companies. So for us to be able to do something like this, I think, is a major achievement. But I think with Disney Infinity is just basically like creation stuff. It's nothing like playing together. And this seems like really the first playing together experience on a console across different platforms together, which is, for a Nintendo system, is quite impressive. I, I personally applaud. Yeah, I applaud Nintendo for, for doing this. I think it's, you know, not just because they're doing it with Cubemen, but just in general, I think it's um, a great step forward for, for yeah. Nintendo. I mean, I think... I think what they've realised, and you know, part of the conversation was like, we, it's not going to be taking away anything from your platform. If anything, it's going to be bringing people to your platform. You know, because you've maybe got all these people that are playing, you know, Cube Man Two, for example, on iPhone or on um, Steam, and you know, it might entice them to want to play on 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 console and then purchase other games. I actually think, and and also from a from a, an attraction point of view, if if you know a game's coming out like Cube Man Two, which has got a lot of user generated content and multiplayer, the fact that there's already a community that exists on other platforms means that you're maybe more likely to think about buying it on the Wii U, whereas if it came out and it was locked to that platform and you could only play against people with the Wii U, you've got a chicken and egg situation of, well, I'm going to wait until the community gets, gets bigger because I don't want to buy a, multi, like a, you know, a game that's got strong multiplayer if there's not a big community. So you know, I, think, I think it's been great that Nintendo have realised that, and that was a large part of, kind of our pitch um, to them. Okay. Um, I... I kind of know what I don't. I don't exactly where I am right now because we just f just answered questions like very naturally through the interview. So it's have been quite amazing. Um, like I, I think I guess one last thing is, uh, see on beyond Cube Man two, are there like other plans right now, or do you think from we're gonna see how this one goes and maybe we'll bring also some maybe some other stuff we do to like. Nintendo systems. I am um, quite happy to bring all our future games to Nintendo systems. Um, we're, we've currently got another game in development which is called Fight the Dragon, which is a, uh, a mini action RPG with um, some very interesting things that have never really been done before. And um, that's uh, definitely targeted for console, console and desktop. And uh, I'd be extremely happy if it came out on the Wii U. Oh wow, that's that's quite a huge statement there. <laughs> it looks really cool as well. Yeah, I mean we've got a long way to go. We're still, you know, we're about halfway through development, so you know there's nothing new to announce about it just yet. But it's um it's going to be very cool and it's going to be quite intuitive to play on a Wii U. Yeah, um, it's it's, it's, it's fun. Yeah, it's specifically designed for console and for desktop. Okay, I will definitely follow that then. Cool. Yeah, see oh, you at PAX Australia. Yeah, and it's got cross-platform play. 
and cross-platform user-generated content, and some cross-platform other things as well. So, uh, yeah. Never, never stopping with the cross-platform stuff, are we? No, well, uh, it's, it's, for us, it, it means that we can build really awesome communities, um, and we can leverage the strength of all the different platforms. Um, you know, people who own Wii U's and play games on Wii U are, are a different community style to people who play PC gaming or people who play on, um, on an iOS or an Android device. So for us, it's just about joining communities together, which I think is really good. Mm. But it's also you play to the strengths. So like you might find that, say, people on one platform are more creative. Maybe they're more into making the levels, but other, other people on the other platform are more into the multiplayer side. By combining those communities together, then you've got a constant influx of new levels and you've got people using those levels to, to play and battle each other as well. So, you know, I think and if you look at we've we've obviously seen that in the past with um, some of our Nintendo products that Nintendo users really seem to love. Um, things with creativity. There's a lot of titles um, that have come out on the platform where you can create your own content, whether it be drawing or or making levels or whatever. Um, and I think that I, I'm, I'm I'm really hopeful that Cumin does really well because of that. Because I think you know the level editor is is amazing, and the fact that you can there's loads of different sort of styles of levels that you can design, um, and then take them online yeah. is brilliant. I think we use kind of the perfect audience for that because. Like creativity is already one of its form factors, especially with Miiverse in place, for example. Yeah. So I, I guess there's nothing else to say then. Um, it has been a very clear interview, pretty straightforward as well. Um, so what all rests me then is then to thank my guests, which were um, Sian Rosenblum. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Dan. And no problem. And, of course, as always, Nick Watt from No... Great to spend time with you again, Dan. No problem at all. Hello, everyone. Dan again, and we're here with another interview. I feel like I've been saying that quite a lot recently. I don't know why. Um, today, we have here, like, once again, another interview, and I'm here with... Emrik Toa. Um, he is from uh, the Game Bakers, but before we kick things truly into the right gear, um, I always ask people to like introduce themselves. So, without further ado, uh, please go ahead. Yeah, sure. So I'm Emric Toa, and I'm the creative director and CEO of uh, the Game Bakers. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we are a small uh, indie studio from France. So, looking at your website, um, before you started the Game Bakers, you had an interesting like history with Ubisoft. Um, could you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So, uh, my partner Audrey and I we used to work in Ubisoft uh, before we started the Game Bakers, and I was working mostly on uh, game design for all Ubisoft games and. Well, I had a lot of pleasure there. I had a lot of experience because it's working with huge teams and huge projects that takes several years to make with uh, different cultures and a lot of people. And that was super, super exciting and interesting. But uh, yeah, we wanted also to start something different to uh, to use uh, the rising of uh, the independent development and the mobile as well uh, to, to start uh, our own game studio and work on smaller projects with smaller team. Yeah. 
So you went from like working on like the bigger stuff within Ubisoft to like doing stuff on your own and which you felt more comfortable with. Yeah, that's that's exactly that. And and uh, yeah, we are very very happy to have uh, started the game bakers and with uh, our uh, our games so far. Okay. Um, so looking at your website from the game bakers, you have mostly worked so far on mobile games. Um, before we talk about Squids and a transi transition a little bit about it on other platforms, um, have you made like other games with the company? Yeah, we just released a new game. It's called Combo Crew, and it's uh, kind of a beat them up like the one you would play in the 90s, uh, like Streets of Rage or Final Fight, except it's made for touch platforms. So you don't use a virtual pad on your screen to move the characters. You use your fingers to fight, and you swipe the screen and tap the screen, and it's uh, yeah, it's really more uh, modern than than uh, virtual pad games. And uh, yeah, we're very happy with uh, the release. So yeah, it, it's it, so it makes it different than all those other games because I have. I've tried those games with virtual pads before, and they're not great, but having like the full control with your finger seems in, indeed very interesting. Yeah, that's actually the, the only game that does that so far, I think. So we are very um, happy with the reception about the controls. That's great to hear. Um, so moving on to Squids then. Um, before we go into the gameplay, uh, Squids has a little narrative going on which explains what the game is all about. Could you tell the listeners a bit more about that? Sure, so the, the story in Squids is uh, it's a story of a kind of a bunch of uh, treasure hunters. Squids, mm -hmm. of course, but they're still hunting for pearls and treasures in the ocean. I Indiana Jones meets the Squids. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, really uh, Indiana Jones. And there is a bit of Star Wars as well because... You know, when they are doing their uh, treasure hunting, they start something bad, and then all the sea creatures, the shrimps and crabs, are corrupted, and they turn evil, and basically you have to lead the rebellion, the squid rebellion against uh, the, 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 the big uh, uh, shrimp Dark Vader, <laughs> basically. So, so, so you're going from Indiana Jones to Star Wars. Yeah, and we also added a bit of uh, Lord of the Rings as well. <laughs> okay, that seems like a, a nice combination of all the fancy tropes you want. Yeah, um, and, and it's yeah. Squid's characters, so that changes everything. <laughs> of course. Um, so the game can be best described as like a puzzle game where you flick your characters and a tactical RPG. Could you explain how these various like gameplay elements progress? Well, there are two big parts in the gameplay. One yeah. is the action part, and mm -hmm. that's where the squid is important, because we wanted the, game, the control of your character to be consistent with the character itself. And the, the character is a squid, uh, he has tentacles, you're going to be able to touch the screen. So what we did is basically you pull the tentacles of your squid and uh, you, you pull the tentacles, you aim in the direction where you want to score the squid and when you release, you score the squid. And that, that's a lot of... Uh, a, big, a big reason why we wanted to, to have squid characters as well because we wanted to be 
con the, the character to be consistent with the control. So you've got a, this kind of aiming, uh, skill-based gameplay, and then you've got all the tactical side. Yes. Um, so you do describe the game to me as like a mix between Angry Birds and, and that tactical RPG elements, but I feel like having like full 60 degrees over it because Angry Birds is just this horizontal slice where you just can aim forward and backward at like specific goals where with squids um, having like your four, full 360 degrees it allow you to like explore environments and have more freedom um, what exactly was your take on that or why did you decide to give that description well we wanted to that was one of the starting points of the game we wanted to be more than the average mobile game we wanted to be more like actually a Nintendo game and 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 that was from the start in our minds so we did a simple control pull and throw your squid very simple it's a good thing from games like Angry Birds Everyone, everybody can play it and have fun with them. But at the same time, we wanted the depth, the depth of a tactical game, the depth of a Nintendo game as well. And, and we added layers, gameplay layers, on top of this simple mechanic. So you've got uh, environment elements that will impact a lot the way you play. You can aim and aim on an enemy so that he falls in a hole and dies. You can aim on it so that he, he bounces on a wall and then fall. You can aim on it so that he, he goes into an urchin that is spiky and will hurt him. Uh, you yeah. can use water stream that will take you from one point to another. So there are lots of uh, environment elements that will impact on your uh, aiming and at the same time there are uh, more RPG elements that um, make you take choices, make choices like which character do you take with you in the battle uh, because they are different, they have different abilities uh, and uh, how do you level them up, how do you uh, choose to use items that you have in your inventory so yeah that's, that's more and way more than uh, a simple aiming and throwing game it's really uh, a game that is uh, um, made for uh, players who want to go to this kind of experience that they had on console uh, yeah, in the 90s and uh, more uh, recent years. Yes. The way how you're describing like tackling those enemies or like your own characters, it feels like a bit, a bit of a pool game. That's right, yeah. You can, you can, you can basically, like in, in pool, you can play with uh, bounces, for instance. You can say, okay, there is an obstacle between me and this enemy but I'm gonna uh, aim in another direction, bounce on this rock, and then I'm gonna be close enough to, to attack this enemy. So that's, that's part of the tactical, and uh, that's where the tactical is linked to the action and uh, skill-based game. That seems pretty fun. Um, all of your squids, because that's something like we're going more into the RPG stuff, have their own like abilities. Um, how do you get like the best usage out of all of them? Well, it's really depending on the player's tactics, basically. 
some players so there, we have four character classes one is more about moving uh, better one is more about uh, shooting at me from distance another is everyone who is in his range will be hurt so it's good when enemies are packed and uh, the last one is a healer so she can basically uh, heal allies and if you are a kind of aggressive player who wants to defeat enemies really quick but probably you will then be a bit uh, less uh, defensive, uh, less uh, more uh, weaker uh, to the enemy attacks, then you can choose really offensive skills if you want to more go step by step, be careful and ensure that you will not have anyone dead in the, in the game, then you can choose a more defensive team with uh, a tank character and a healer and so on. So the the choice is on the player side. Yes, yeah, so it's it's more uh, what do you want and what you see for the best usage in those stages. So you can like pick and choose what you want. Exactly, and some missions will probably require you to adjust your your strategy because if there is a very long mission with a lot of enemies, you will want to to prepare your team to be more uh, defensive. If it's a mission where you can rush through it you're going to want to, to uh, gain more points by uh, taking a more aggressive team. With, the, with these RPG elements, also, there has also an additional layer, which are like the upgrading systems, which um, allow you like various different skills. Um, one of these upgrading systems entails hats. Could you tell that, us more about that? Of course, the hats. They are the, the treasures for the squids. So basically they, they need protection because they are bumping enemies with their head and the hats are uh, objects that have fallen in the oceans from the human world. So they can be whatever, socks or uh, uh, cooking pots, uh, stuff like that, that the squids take and put on their heads and feel like it's a helmet. But the hats also have powers and you can transfer the power to the squid. So when you are finding a helmet, it's not only uh, a visual customization item, it's also an empowerment item. So it's, it's really cool that the player can choose uh, to transfer the power and then choose whatever helmet he has in his collection. He's not forced to wear the last helmet, which is the most powerful, like you would have in a normal RPG. Here it's, it's a player's choice to wear whatever he wants and he still gains uh, the bonus uh, statistics. Okay, so that adds some additional value to your character and makes it a little bit stronger. So that's always important. Um, another thing that that I liked about how... how the, sorry. Another thing that I liked about the game is how like the entire product looks. Like everything has a crisp and clear look to it. Uh, what made, how do you make some of the decisions for this art direction? Well, it was a, a long process, actually. Uh, like uh, in every game, you start and you have this, this image in mind, in mind and you start and it's... it's, it's uh, yeah, it was very different. It was like a tile-based game. It was using tiles that repeat themselves, like in many video games. But at one point, our art director came up with an artwork he made for a level. 
And we, we said, wow, this is so beautiful. We need to have that in the game. And we switched every, everything in the art pipeline to, uh, to make it this way. So, um, yeah, that, that made a big difference. And that's also what gives the game a unique uh, look because every level is a painting, basically. A painting by, made by this guy because we have only one artist in, in the team. So all, all the art, all the characters, all the backgrounds are uh, made by uh, this uh, artist. And uh, yeah, it's a unique uh, look and feel, I think, in, in the video game right now because it's, it's, it was made out of uh, a kind of a constraint and uh, yeah, we are very, very happy with the visuals. So that's quite impressive, all done by a single man. <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, indie spirit, right? Yes, that's definitely the indie spirit. Um, so, of course, this was originally a mobile game, and was later released to like a new audience for like computer-specific devices. Um, how was the transition from going to such a small screen to like a big screen? Well, it's, uh, in, on the production side, it's uh, it's fairly easy because most of the visual assets were made for a big resolution, and uh, even now the, the, the for instance the iPad 3 is uh, higher is is requiring assets higher in resolution than consoles. It's crazy. It's uh, really really big. So. On this side, uh, all, all was planned, and then for the game in itself, it's only getting better on a bigger screen because you have more space to see around you. So uh, you can aim better because you see enemies which are uh, far away, and uh, the visuals are not impacted by that. So it's it's really uh, cool to see it getting better over time. It's a bit like wine, this game. It's, it's only uh, getting better. Yeah, definitely with having, like, the bigger screen, you would have, like, a more bigger landscape to view it on. I, I can imagine with, like, a smaller screen, you have to pan a little bit and have to move about a bit more to see everything that happens during the gameplay. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly that. You had to pan the camera, and now the more, the bigger screen, uh, the bigger the, the screen is, uh, the less you have to do that, so it's... Uh, it's uh, getting better as well. And on 3DS, for instance, and also Wii U, we are uh, splitting the information on the two screens. For instance, on the bottom screen on 3DS, you will see your squid uh, bigger, and you have all the buttons, the uh, interactions. And on the top screen, the, it's only the game, so it's lighter, and it's also uh, kind of... A a view from a bit far away so you have more uh, tactical uh, vision. So you're using like both screens to their most and biggest advantages which is uh, certainly important when you're bringing the game over to like a new system. Um, which just brings me to like the next question is like you're moving now the game to Wii U and Nintendo 3DS which is an interesting decision in itself what made you decide for such a uh, thing, and what makes these versions so deluxe? Well, the thing is, we decided to to reach out to Nintendo and to 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 uh, to make to to port uh, Squids on on these consoles because we we thought that it was really a good match 
uh, in terms of audience. Nintendo is, is really still a unique developer and a unique uh, console uh, maker. And they have a philosophy that is very unique. And by having this philosophy, they have players that are also unique. And Squids is a game that has the same philosophy. It's a game that has really a strong focus on gameplay. And when we met Nintendo, they told us, whatever the game is, what matters is the gameplay. If it looks great, good for you, but we will look at gameplay. If it's hype, good for you, but we want good gameplay. And we were very, very happy to hear that from, from the constructor. We were really happy to, to, to hear that because that's also our philosophy. So we, we think that this and the fact that Squid is also working for all ages. Uh, we had a little girl of four year old who loved the game and a grandmother of uh, 88 who finished it. So um, I think it, it fits very well the, the two platforms for, for Nintendo. Hmm. So uh, one thing you haven't um, um, answered then is about like the content because something you have uh, told me like before we started like the recording is that Squid's Deluxe is actually not Squid's Deluxe right now, correct? It is a completely different title. Yes, it's, uh, it was a, a work-in-progress title. Uh, the official and final title is uh, Squid's Odyssey because it's really an Odyssey. It's starting from Squid's 1 to Squid's Wild West and more. So it's all we've done since two years. The first game, the second game, all the updates, all the bonus missions, the new game plus mod, everything merged together and Squid's One also benefiting from all the improvements we made on Squid Wild West. So Squid's One is really ge getting a lifting there. It's, it's going to be better than every other version. And in addition to that, we had a new chapter. And in the new chapter, you will get the first peek at what uh, the Wakame Kingdom is, uh, is going to be. Wakame Kingdom is a kind of Asian kingdom of the Squid world, and uh, it's also what, where Squid 3 uh, would happen. Uh, so that's the first peek at this uh, kingdom, and you'll get a new character as well, and uh, a lot of missions. So that's like a biggie, like a chunky package. You have the original game, you have like the second game, you have like new missions, and then like all the improvements you you made over the last two years. Exactly, and all that that makes more than uh, 80 missions easy. I didn't count actually, but I think it's way more than that. And it's also as a new game plus mode with a higher difficulty, but not only that, we reworked all the missions. When you're starting this, this mode, uh, all the missions are different. Like, it's the same story, same maps, but the mission design is completely different. So it's going to be a pretty long, uh, a pretty long uh, adventure for a digital uh, and uh, eShop title. Yeah, so we have talked about what made like the Nintendo 3DS version unique with the options of the two screens. Um, but how are you guys implementing that into like the Wii U version? Well, it's going to be uh, the same kind of logic. You're uh, you're gonna have your uh, your um, squid on the on the gamepad and full 
clear and beautiful gameplay map on the bigger screen. And you'll also be able to play uh, on the gamepad only. Yes. So the option. So these are like the basic options from playing it on the gamepad and having like on the TV like more opportunity to look around. Yes. Okay. Um, with you being a company that has been so focused on mobile for so long, going to Nintendo seems a bit out there. How? You have talked a bit about how they were like from gameplay is important to us, but how were they further in their approach? Were they like happy to to see you come to their platforms? Yeah, yeah, for sure. They are very. Um, they were very open to indies. I think they realized something a few years ago that uh, content was a problem for us. They are having difficulties to come with a lot of content, uh, and that. All today, smaller teams, because of the digital distribution and also the, the tools, uh, smaller teams could make great games. And they've completely changed their uh, philosophy. And they were very, very um, super uh, nice with us, uh, excited by the game. They helped us. They, lend, they landed us a, a dev kit. So now it's, uh, it's going very well with them so far. Mm-hmm. And of course, you guys have been into the Nintendo Direct video. Yeah, it was super cool. We were really, really proud and happy to to uh, to see that. Yes, um, of course, not with the correct title. So, guys, get on that before the games come. I mean, come on now. Uh, <laughs> um, but seeing how those two games are coming to the systems and seeing how you said like the 3DS version is like a bit further along are you planning to release the games on the same time how do you are you going to roll them out how you are going to do it etc etc and maybe are you thinking about maybe doing more on Nintendo systems or is this for the time being just a one time only project Oh, I would love that to be not a one-time project. I would love to keep doing game on Nintendo consoles. Uh, I'm not one of these guys who say they are uh, they have lost this uh, this uh, generation of consoles war, and is, I don't think there is a war with Nintendo because they have a precise audience. They are not aiming for everyone, and I think that just makes them. Uh, Timeless. They will be there in forever, <laughs> as long as they don't change this philosophy. So it's also very important for indies because what we need is to have a niche. We don't need to reach a lot of people. We need to reach a niche that is buying our games and is just big enough for us to make the next game. Uh, we don't need a million seller to make a game. We need. Hundred cells, hundred thousand cells. Uh, if we if we sell this much, we're fine to make another game, and that's all what we want. So, uh, yeah, making more for Nintendo, we would love that to to happen, and and uh, for sure it will depend on the success of Squids, but but maybe even not. I don't I don't know what what could happen, and um, yeah, so that's uh, that's really um, that's really about that. And then about the first part of the question. We are aiming for uh, releasing both games at the same time, hopefully, <laughs> and uh, it's going to release before Christmas for sure. Okay. 
Um, and of course, yeah, like, like getting the decision out there for more like support is also depending on like getting feedback off like people who play it. Of course, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, and we've we've had that before with uh, mobile platforms, but uh, yeah, you, you, I, I thought about the 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 ways that Nintendo have to to make that happen as well with the me. With uh, with Miiverse, it's like the big part of it that that people can comment on what they're playing, and they tell like openly where they are, what they accomplished, and if they have like a question, maybe towards you guys, towards the developer. Yeah, that's um, going to be super fun, fun to 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 see, and that's also the good part of being an indie developer. You can interact more with uh, with your fans. Yeah, so maybe. That's like the big like opportunity or starting point to have like a little community going around like squids on Miiverse. Uh, you never know what will go. <laughs> that, that would be awesome. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Yeah. So I've been like asking questions for this long amount of time. Do you have anything else to add, or do you think we have all covered it? Well, yeah, we've co we've covered it pretty much. I'm really really excited to 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 have the game come to to consoles. Because it's uh, it's it's a different experience. It's something that uh, all indie mobile developer, all the guys who make games for iPhone and Android, they are playing the the same games as everyone. They are, they are playing on consoles. They are having fun with with AAA's and console games. And now our our game, which got bigger and bigger over time, is going to be on uh, home consoles and. And that's really a big, big pleasure for me because I'm gonna, I'm going to be able to say uh, that it's a console game now, and it's a bit of uh, pride as well. Yeah. Well, then, what only rests me is to thank you for this interview. Yeah, and uh, I have to thank you as well uh, very much for uh, having me there. No problem. Hey, everybody! Welcome to another interview. Uh, I am. Justin Baker, uh, reviews editor extraordinaire, and uh, we're here with Don. And Hello. today we're going to be talking to uh, Peter from Rain Games. Hello. So excellent. Um, they're coming out with a new game, Tesla Grad, coming to the Wii U eShop. And we've got some questions for him. So uh, let's see what we've got here. Um, Peter, we always give the guests a chance to introduce themselves, so uh, just tell us uh, where you're from and what you do. All right. My name is Peter. I uh, live in uh, Norway, uh, and we have a relatively flat, fresh indie developer, uh, indie game development studio, studio called Rain Games. As was said previously, we're working on the title Teslagrad, and that is coming for the Wii U the last quarter of this year. Uh, we are a relatively small team, and uh, all of us are, are working uh, from, from the local city of Bergen. And uh, yeah, it's sort of a, a, a wave of uh, Norwegian indies and games coming out these days. Uh, uh, there is another uh, uh, game by Snowcastle, even for the Wii U. And we also have uh, exciting projects, uh, even here in Bergen, with uh, uh, studios like uh, D-Pad and... Uh, and others coming along. So it's all coming at the same time and uh, yeah, really excited to see what we can do on the Wii U and what the rest of the Norwegian community can contribute to games. 
like the uh, not only like the Norwegian community, but like the 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 Scandinavian community is like highly like on currently on 3ds and Wii U. So it's always nice to have like more developers on board. Mm. Um. So Tetris Squad is your first game that Wayne Games has released as a company because it has been released on on PC, correct? Uh, no, it's not oh, been okay. released yet. It's okay. planned to come out at the same time, actually. Okay, we're at the same time. Okay, uh, but you have worked on a project before, uh, but that that never that never made it to release, correct? That is correct. Uh, Minute Mayhem is our first project, and actually happens in the same uh, universe or setting as uh, Tesla Grad, uh, but it uh, uh, it never found the same kind of funding. Uh, so uh, uh, we had we had Tesla Grad first as a side project, but uh, the concept of the game itself got people a lot more excited than Minimam ever did. So uh, when we started to uh, really see uh, Tesla Grad get traction, we we uh, had to abandon one project to simply invest full time in the other one. That makes sense because you you felt so much stronger about the second project that you just moved on to that one more. Correct. Yes. Yeah. That it, is, that is correct. Yeah. Um. So every game has, of course, a story behind it, and we are interested in like the setting of the product because um, you are telling these elements without any voices backing it up. Yes, that is correct. Uh, it's a bit dif- uh, it's a bit uh, different from what you see in many games. Uh, usually, you ha- either have these days you usually have voice acting, and previously or in some indie titles you see text-based storytelling. Uh, but we wanted to ma- uh, to tell a story without using these elements. There is a tradition for this in in video games, and you you see some of it happen in, uh, for example, uh, if you ever played uh, Super Metroid. Yes. Uh, a lot is told about that world uh, simply by f- uh, having the atmosphere of the place and seeing what happens around you. And a few uh, characters or things move with you from one of the games to the other ones and things get a certain kind of progression. Uh, they do include a bit of text to get you uh, get you a contextual sense about the world. Uh, but we believe that you can tell the entire story without having uh, to say anything as directly as that. So uh, we have more empathies on us, and we see, we see to that a lot of things happen in the game. You clearly can see what is going on, what your part at, uh, or role in this is, and how it progresses. And in addition to that, we have put a lot of tidbits in the game that can tell you about the past of the game, again, without having to explicitly say what it is. You can see what has occurred in places before, and you can see the results of things that have happened. Justin? Yeah, that's really interesting because I, I was uh, when you said Super Metroid, I made the connection in my head because I was watching some uh, alpha builds of the game on YouTube, hmm. and um, I really because I mean there was no text anywhere to be seen, no voices, and I thought it was really interesting how you're still able to convey everything very effectively from what I saw without any of that. Actually, a lot of other medias have been doing this for quite a while. Uh, film, of course, had its era where it was more or less forced to because movies were silent in the beginning. And some movies uh, uh, did this with just uh, putting up small billboards with text, but other ones just chose to do, convey everything without that. Uh, some actors were, were known to take real big pains to manage to uh, express with their bodies what happened in the situation so that the text box didn't have to be put up on the table. And uh, in later, later years, for example, many uh, comic books, for example, have, have done the same thing. 
really attempting to make an entire episode of the comic book, for example, or in the entire comic book series, without ever having to use any sort of uh, actual language to tell the story. An right, example things, of yeah, yeah, things like um, uh, Bone is isn't that one of them that uh, isn't that one that's big on there's no text in it. It's uh, all the, just imagery. Uh, no, that one uses text, but the, uh, the, there's another comic called Gone. It's oh, like, that's what I'm uh, thinking of. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bone is, uh, is another comic, though. Uh, but Gone is, is like a, a tiny dinosaur, it's about. Uh, and uh, 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 a lot happens to it. And, uh, 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 yeah, everything happens without uh, any sort of dialogue text or anything. Uh, actually, uh, uh, the the once was a Marvel comic uh, in, the, in the Spider-Man series, or actually Spider-Girls, it's a weird spin-off thing, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. uh, they did an entire, uh, they were challenged uh, uh, by DC, I think, actually, <laughs> to make an entire comic book without ever writing any words, and they did so. All the story, and the entire story in that particular book was told without ever using a single box of dialogue. And this was in a series that was running with dialogue normally. So it had to convey as much as the ones that had text in it. It was a real real masterpiece in a series that was otherwise not very memorable. But uh, this has been done con <laughs> this has been done continually in different medias and uh, uh, games uh, have done so from time to time without expressly actually wanting to do so, so often the cause of limitations or similar. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and we, we wanted to make an experiment of actually going for it without having to do it. Many indie games these days, especially with like the, the, the more classic Inspire ones, like uh, try to tell the story by very simplistic means, but the game you're going for is like very stylized. Um, so going into that from one point to another, what made you then decide for going for the art style you're currently using for the game? Ah, uh, Oli, uh, or Uli Varudi, uh, uh, at our studio has a lot, of, lot to do with the art style of the game itself. He was really sitting down and working that out for a long time. We took a lot of the inspiration from that, basically, uh, uh, forwarded from the first game project, because we've already created a style for the world. Mm -hmm. the, uh, uh, making Tesla Grad was uh, it's, it's sort of a part of our world that uh, it's reminiscent of uh, many of the old Russian or East European uh, things, and also a lot of the Nordic old uh, cultural things, from the purely uh, from purely from the architectural and uh, sort of uh, the items and the clothing you see in the game. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, the art itself is sort of a blend from like Belgian uh, classic uh, comic. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, and and putting in a lot of the newer uh, Japanese ways of doing th doing character animation. So it's a bit different from everything else, but uh, uh, the the character animation comes from like, to those two homes. And a bit of new stuff. Uh, we also use a lot of uh, color in the game in order to sort of set the mood. There's a lot of blue and grey, but we also see that every time we have a uh, possibility to use color, we use a lot of color. Mm. So that the different areas feel very different, that, uh, and this is part of the storytelling as well. We have to put the mood into the game using color and sound. So the sound is very important, and the color in the scenes that has to come together to sort of help fe uh, feel what sort of place this is, and what sort of events happens here, happened he here before, or happen here now. The yeah, the art style had indeed like this Belgian feel, like this um, Hergé like Tintin feel. I feel. Mm. Uh, I feel that I don't know if that's the best way of describing it. Um, 
Uh, people can probably take a look themselves. It's sort of part uh, uh, that tradition, as I said, and part of the uh, a, a different uh, uh, animation tradition. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's it's a blend. It's it's a blend of like the the best of those two worlds, pretty much. Um, so the game, we're going more to, into the game now, which is described as like a puzzle platformer with action elements. Yes. So what? Does the game more make more actiony than your typical game of the genre? Because <laughs> that th that genre is is filled with a lot of games, and I'm always interested in what do you do to make it so much different than what like what somebody else would do. Of course, uh, uh, the core uh, gameplay element in our games uh, is mad in our game is magnetism, yeah. and the thing about magnetism is, of course. Uh, you can think uh, you can think how things are interacting with each other, but in the end, it's a basic force, right? It pushes mm -hmm. you and it can can r propel you really hard across a room. It can also toss an object really fast, and this uh, can very easily be used to do very athletic moves. Uh, so uh, basically, if you can use the forces of magnetism, a bit of thought, but a lot of reflex to uh, like uh, propel yourself or objects or other things, uh, you can. Then this is part of the gameplay uh, of Teslagrad combination with, for example, uh, we have an item that makes you, gives you a short-range teleport and there's a lot of elements to give the character a lot of speed. Without being able to run very fast or similar, he, he can use the terrain and use the items around him and magnetism to throw himself, pull himself, throw other objects and do things like that. And, uh, we, we, however, we try, we try to make it like uh, the athletic bits be, uh, ought to be a break in pace from the thinking parts of the game. Mm -hmm. uh, if you get a puzzle after puzzle after puzzle, it's a bit tiring. Yes. And the same with a very long athletic difficult uh, stretch. So instead, uh, there's a bit a bit of interchange in the levels of Tesseract. Some levels are uh, 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 more focused on uh, being able to execute moves, and others are focused on being able to understand what you're supposed to do here. And they usually they come one after another in order to sort of change the pace of the game. Mm-hmm. Justin, um, one thing I was curious about was there's there's I mean obviously it's a uh, uh, puzzle platformer so it's it's going to have a lot of puzzles but I was noticing that the um, amount of enemies are kind of sparse I mean they're very strategically placed but it's not like you know Mario every screen's filled with you know Goombas and Koopa shells and everything else it was they were they seemed more spaced out yeah this was is correct maybe the uh, the section, I don't know if it was the section I was looking at or, or if that's kind of the, the theme of the whole game. Uh, there are not many enemies in Teslagrad for most part. Uh, there mm -hmm. are places, uh, you, you get very, very intense enemy encounters, of course, with the boss fights. <laughs> and right. uh, uh, we, we made sure to make them big and spectacular. Uh, so that part, that part is definitely enemy filled. And there is also, but most of the direct confrontation with enemy happens at the beginning and the end. Uh, in, in the greatest part of the experiment, uh, most of the creatures of the uh, of the tower are sort of benign. Uh, mm -hmm. They are part of the environment themselves, often part of the puzzle itself. Uh, they can be dangerous uh, and challenging, or they can be helpful in certain ways. Uh, but uh, the game is not meant to be uh, about beating the enemies themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. 
they they are like we saw a bit of like this this boss battle at the end, and it was a bit of a tease how you then um, <laughs> ended the, then the video because I was like I really wanted to know what happens in this encounter. <laughs> well, there are already uh, a few uh, videos out there that go a few bit further into the game, so you, you can get a chance to get a look at that. I might do so afterwards. Um, so, how do you keep things like interesting? Do you do your protagonist like powers grow for the course of the game, or is it more organic, like with the puzzles in itself, or like with the challenges that the character faces? Uh, the character's power uh, definitely grows during the game. So, uh, as he discovers more, he will attain more uh, of the power uh, of the power he can he can have. He can have. It's both uh, a sense that the uh, that the gameplay becomes more challenging because you will need to use the new set of abilities you have. So it's part of the progression of challenge. Mm -hmm. It's also part of uh, of the progression of the story, showing that the main character does become more powerful. Okay. So it, it it progresses like in both ways. So you have a section that upgrades, but also a section that when you become more powerful, it also organically becomes more difficult and more challenging. So a bit of the sides of both of them, really. Yes, uh, when you become more powerful, you will be able to explore parts of the game where you've never been able to go before. And these areas do provide challenges where you will need to use your new powers. I mean, you need to retain everything you have been able to do before and now do them with new elements in them. Really don't uh, repeat uh, uh, ourselves almost at all. We try to keep every challenge unique to, to uh, the one time it appears. But uh, we do expect people to have learned the bits they've passed before. Uh, so that when, when we present uh, something you've done before as part of another puzzle, it's just an instrument, part of the, uh, not part of the new challenge. So as you attain uh, new powers, Mm -hmm. uh, you will be expected to do more tricky things for them. Um, now, you talked about this earlier, Peter, with when, whenever you're talking about um, kind of the design philosophy behind the game, but one thing that I, I really enjoyed was that there's no tutorials. It's it. I mean, the game teaches you to play through clever design instead of just outright written tutorials, press A to jump, press B to do this. And um, was that decision uh, intentional, like as a part of your overall design philosophy, or did it just kind of naturally grow as you developed the game? Uh, it's definitely part of a design philosophy. Uh, the thought is that uh, we were able to uh, load uh, the game as it progressed, so we didn't have to have uh, loading for levels and similar. Mm. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we were going to do voiceless storytelling, meaning we didn't have to have cutscenes. Uh, basically, we take the liberty of having a little bit at the beginning and the end, and that's it. So the mm -hmm. uh, the entire stretch of the game is one piece. Uh, so having tutorials would have been horrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, instead of that, uh, we uh, we know that the uh, gaming has for a long time uh, been working uh, to find ways to let the player know how uh, how to do things by designing the level so that doing the right things are intuitive. And uh, yeah, that is. Uh, uh, we worked a lot for that. We had to redesign levels and really test it with people to see if they could. Uh, that everybody would understand what they were supposed to do. And in the end, it worked out. So yeah, 
Excellent. Well, I was, I was very excited to see that. I, I definitely feel like games really kind of tut over-tutorialize things <laughs> these days. So it was a breath of fresh air to see something that, like, like you were, when you were talking about Super Metroid, took a page out of that book and, and just kind of let you figure it out. Actually, a, a recent very good example of this is uh, uh, Portal 1. Uh, you know, Portal has been uh, acclaimed for many things, but one of the brilliant things is that uh, uh, you don't notice the tutorial level in Portal 1, because it's it's like for every level you learn a new little bit, and Gladys sort of explains it, but that's in character, she's supposed to, and, uh, 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 and the level is built to force you to do the particular things. Uh, and, yeah, th there is no tutorial level there either. And everything is just built into the design. It's beautifully done. With examples like that, uh, uh, we t uh, we've taken inspiration and tried to build something ourselves that does the same kind of thing. And as I said, it's part of the biggest design philosophy to manage to give a seamless gameplay experience. We don't want to break in and take the player out of the gameplay experience. In order to make it that, uh, uh, that also makes the other bit that I mentioned about uh, ch exchanging between thinking and action more important. Uh, cutscenes and these things that interrupt your gameplay are actually also a mechanic in order to make uh, gameplay not seem uh, monotonous. So when we that went with the design philosophy where we didn't interrupt at all, we also had to uh, include a philosophy where we did change the experience up throughout the game. So you're now playing like the game to to Wii U. Um, what what made you like go to that system? Because uh, the game was only originally intended for PC, correct? Well, uh, we were always build building it in Unity, and we were hoping, uh, both with the previous game and this one, that uh, uh, we were going to get to uh, port to consoles. We mm -hmm. didn't have any uh, deals with any companies at that, uh, at that point, but it's a platformer, and platformers should be played with a D-pad in some <laughs> shape or another. Yes. Uh, you definitely can play Tasselgrad uh, on a computer with a keyboard, and it works beautifully, but... Still, platformers are only slightly better with the D-pad. And why not go with the company with the best D-pad? <laughs> True. Uh, of course, I've uh, experienced uh, uh, Nintendo as a child, and I've had the, the earlier Nintendo systems. And as uh, you probably can guess, I've played a lot of the early, the early uh, Nintendo platformers. And it was great. Uh, actually, Nintendo contacted us. We were in development. Uh, P the word, word of, uh, about Test Regard was just coming out. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, yeah, Nintendo, uh, Nintendo contacted us and really wanted to take a look at the game, and that was great. So we did. And uh, actually, working with Nintendo has been very, very great. As I said, we work we work with Unity engine building this game, mm -hmm. and one of the advantages of the engine is that it's able to port to many different systems. That doesn't mean it's automatic. You still have to work. Uh, you to work for every console you port for, um, but uh, it makes it technically much more uh, simple than it would have been if you we've written something from the bottom up. And yes. uh, the, the difference between Nintendo and any other uh, non-PC release is that Nintendo actually has a deal with Unity, allows allowing us to make that uh, port without paying a lot of money. To be allowed to make the port, which would be the case for any other console. So the deal between Nintendo and Unity is really important for us, as it is our first project. That big expenses like that are really, really hurts. Like, I think working with Nintendo, it's been also surprising enough. Like, you have been featured in that Nintendo Direct video, so you're already getting promotion before like the game is even out. So people 
like us get to know it. Um, how does that approach feel? Do you feel like Nintendo is like currently doing the right thing with like pre promoting and pre hyping like digital software? Definitely. Uh, to to get people to know uh, the the smaller titles that are coming out for the, for the console is is really important. Uh, it's both. Uh, of course, it's important for the developers uh, to uh, to know that uh, uh, that there is a market and that there is attention uh, set towards them, and, and that also makes uh, the port uh, or uh, the game, the building thereof, uh, for the uh, for the Nintendo very important to them. If they know they're going to be received well by the fact that the fans already expect them to come out, they are already excited about it. They put a lot of time and effort into making uh, the Wii U experience the best one it can be. Well, um, actually, I, I also want to add this. Uh, uh, I used the word uh, port earlier, but it's a bit wrong. With Unity, everything is a build. So it's not originally anything. <laughs> so it's not like a PC game uh, crammed onto a Wii U console. It's a Unity game in the Unity engine, and then it sort of has its versions for everything, including PC. So it's not originally on anything else and then converted to something else. It's as original on every console. So Unity is that seamless that it one will go from one platform to another. Hmm. So I think Justin had a, f a question about like features about the title on Wii U. Um, specifically, well, I was curious if uh, um, there's going to be any features unique to the Wii U version of the game. I mean, have you worked out anything like anything fun to do with the game gamepad or anything like that yet? Definitely. Of course, uh, Teslagrad uh, is Metroidvania-style uh, game in that uh, there is a lot of exploration mm -hmm. in it. And uh, this makes the use of a map rather important. But uh, this, this has to do with our seamless uh, gameplay experience. We didn't want to display the map on the screen unless you just went off-screen completely to look at it. Because we don't have any overlaying uh, user interface elements on the screen at any time. So, uh, in all the other versions, the map will simply be uh, on a different screen you can go to. But on the Wii U version, you're able to display that on the screen uh, in the in the controller. Mm -hmm. So that's a that's a unique fe feature for uh, for the Wii U. The fact that you can carry the map around, you can look at where you are in the system uh, of the map at any time during gameplay without us having to overlay any GUI elements onto the screen itself. And of course, there's off-screen play, but I guess any good Wii U game should really support that. Right. I, f I think the new buzzword is is like office play, playing it with a other controller while playing on the Wii U gamepad. <laughs> uh, that's even like the next level. Um, I I, f I think that is most of the questions. But what I would like to know then is. What does the future then hold for your company? I think currently you're just chugging along with this project, and we're certainly interested in when it comes out. But what is for you thereafter? Uh, we have uh, created a world that we want to, uh, we at least want to explore a lot more. Yeah. Uh, we want to make more games in the same world of the world uh, that Teslagrad is in, and there are a lot of other things to explore there as well. We uh, built a good framework when we were build, uh, building our previous projects, and a lot of other nations with a somewhat different flavor from that of Teslagrad. And we'd also like to see some conflict between these nations. And uh, that probably means uh, that we will, uh, we will uh, definitely stick to uh, the Unity engine, 
and it probably means that uh, there will be Wii U games coming out of this as well. Of course, any uh, release for any console does mean that we need approval from the console holder, so we can't make any promises. But we, I think at least, would like to make more games for Nintendo com consoles in the future. That's at least uh, a good thing, especially with that seamless option of Unity. Um, so that seems definitely promising then. Um, so we have been blabbering around for 35 minutes. Uh, the question then is, is is there anything we haven't discussed that you still want to bring to the table or do you have any closing remarks or do you have anything to add really? Well, I hope people enjoy the game. Uh, of course, there's always a bit of nervousness with uh, with uh, all kind of storytelling. I also hope people uh, get the story. Uh, we've we've been layering it so that there is a available part that uh, everybody that everybody will get, and then there are like more subtle elements, uh, bits of story that you can look for. And I hope people go looking for them, and I hope people uh, find them and puzzle together the story we're telling. People will just post about it on the Miiverse. It will be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> uh, as I said, we're not trying to be cryptic uh, uh, yeah. story or anything. As I said, the main part of it are, are very visible and very very understandable. And we've also been uh, testing this. So, But I hope people pick it up and have the same kind of fun experience with a Nintendo game as I had when I was playing on the, on the consoles as a young boy. Well, that's definitely the dream, huh? Getting your game played by many. Definitely. Yeah. So, I guess that's it then. Um, so the game is coming out by the end of the year. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Um, currently, PC and Wii U, or any other platform, or. Uh, it will also be uh, coming out for the play, uh, PlayStation Three. PlayStation Three as well. Okay. Mm. So PlayStation Three, Wii U, and PC. Yes, and with PC, then that also includes Mac and Linux. Yes. Okay. Um, then what all what rests me is to thank you for being on this interview. <laughs> yeah, and great to be here. Yeah, and my co-host in question this time was Justin Baker. Yes, I also would like to thank both of you for being here. This is wonderful. Oh, uh, maybe Peter wants also want to thank us for being here, so we all have a trio of complete. <laughs> complete <laughs> yeah, thanks all around. Thank yes. you, everyone. <laughs> thank you so much. Yes. Hello, everybody. Um, Dan here, and we're back again with another interview. I feel like I'm saying that a lot lately. Hmm. I don't know how that how that is, but we have again another guest, and with me today is. I'm Kevin Sarda. I'm a game designer from Beautifun Games, a company based in Sabadell, near Barcelona. You've and you've directly done the first question. You've talked a bit about yourself, so. Um, the Mumba is your is your studio's first ever game. Um, have you done anything before you started working on this project? Yes. Well, uh, first of all, I must say that the team met each other and still studying a video game degree. Well, not a degree, but a master, a post degree. Uh, we were studying there, and we all developed our first game, our first uh, let's say launched game there. Uh, my first game was called The Creature, uh, and it was of a, another platformer, another puzzle platformer, uh, about a creature who missed all the parts of its body and it had to find them uh, inside a huge cave. And well, that was the first game that I released 
worldwide, let's say. It can be downloaded for free, actually. Okay. Uh, but after before that, I made like I think that every other developer did, more or less. That is the, doing experiments with RPG maker or game maker or all this kind of stuff. But the thing that matters is the games that you release. So I could say that Nihilambra is my second game released. Yeah. So that first game, uh, where is where is it then available? Because I think that people will say, oh, it's it's free to download. Is is it for? Where is it available? Is it available on PC? Is it available on your, on your mobile phone? Uh, where is it available? Uh, it was developed with uh, Unreal Engine. And for that time it wasn't um, available for iOS. So the game is only playable on PC. Okay. Not even okay. Mac. Okay. And you can find it in our blog. It's thecreatureproject.wordpress.com <laughs> The story in the game um, involves like a shadowy... Fi- figure called Born who tries to escape from a dark place called the Void. But you can tell us more about like the adventure. Well actually it's a philosophical game. Uh, the, the name of it, Nihil Ambra, suggests that it's inspired on nihilism and that's the truth. Uh, actually the game talks about uh, struggling and fighting to be someone in, in your life. And it's a, it shows that it's a really hard battle that you have to fight every step that you make. And it always is asking you or questioning you if, if it makes any sense. In the game you play as, as you said, as Born. Uh, that's the name of the character because the first sentence that you read in the game is you are born. Because the game starts with the, with the character being born. And then he escapes from the void, but he's a part of the void. He's a, a little piece of void. Then he tries to escape and, and walk through the wall and travel, but he has this inevitable curse that is that the void is always chasing him wherever he goes. So every step he makes or every place he meets is condemned to be absorbed by the void when it arrives. So the character has this, this thing upon his shoulders and he has to, well, as I said, fight for survive while trying to learn if it has any sense at all. And it actually explains as well the the story of our company. Because we are an indie development, a video game indie development company that appeared out of nowhere, like like the main character that appears directly from the nothingness. We appeared out of nowhere and we have to fight uh, for survive and to be someone and, and to try to be uh, to stay in the world of video games and not be absorbed f- for the void and fall into oblivion. <laughs> I was almost going to mention that you're not going to fall in a void, are you? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be very terrible. <laughs> so um, the gameplay is about like moving up, changing up the environments, and move yourself away from the emptiness. Um, how do you sub- describe and convey such a game? Well, I will talk about the the game mechanics to describe the game, I think. Yeah. Because the story is something that you unveil while you play. So the game mechanics, uh, I think that they fit inside the description of a puzzle platformer, like uh, it could be, for example, Braid, or Limbo, or even Ape's Odyssey, or the first Prince of Persia. It's a game about running and jumping, but it's not about reflexes. It's not about coordination. It's about um, thinking how to surpass the obstacles. And for example, in Nihilambra, 
like in some of the uh, these games I said, you have no way to face your enemies and fight them. At least not at the beginning. So you have to find ways to go around them or, or distract them somehow using the main ability of the character, which is one of the original points of the game. The main ability is to paint the environment with different colors, changing the physics of the grounds. So you can, for example, paint the ground with blue to make it slippery and go faster, or make an enemy fall from a cliff. Or you can, for example, paint uh, something with green that turns the walls or the ground bouncy, and you can uh, bounce to reach higher places. And Well, there are di five different colors, and you find them one of them in a different world. So you use them to overcome obstacles, um, to help yourself across enemies, and to progress yourself further into the game. Mm -hmm. Like I like to say, it's like the levels are not finished when you arrive. You have to finish them, and then you can complete them. It's it's kind of like Epic Mickey in a sense, except this one is good. <laughs> well, I, I haven't played Epic Mickey, so I cannot say if it's good <laughs> or not. But yeah, we both share this... this mm, Painting mechanics. Actually, there's a a member of the team that really likes Epic Mickey, and okay. and she said the the same. And well, she showed us the, uh, the video as a reference. Yeah, it, it 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 seems like like a like a 2D version of it. But in that sense, it, it makes it a lot better because you have also much more control over the environment and what you're doing. Well, we wanted uh, to make it like that. We wanted to make the colors without restrictions, so people could play, could paint anywhere they want, and do every, anything they want with the powers of the of the character. Not just uh, arriving to an area and finding a spot where you can paint and just choosing the right color. And that's good because actually we are always finding new ways of of completing the levels. Sometimes we see a video of some, someone playing and they do stuff that we even imagine. <laughs> We didn't know that the, the, the levels could be completed that way, for example. It makes it very interesting for you to just just, just see from, oh, I never thought about that. It, 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 it makes it just very interesting for, for other players to just toy around with stuff and see what they can do. So in that sense, it becomes an action-reaction where you see other people react to the game and then creating your own, their own actions to what they're seeing on screen. So in that sense, the experience will not never be the same for like all the persons that play the game. Mm, absolutely. Uh, well, I believe that the first time you play the game, uh, while you are paying attention to the story and the puzzles are easier, uh, maybe that part is more similar for everybody. Yeah. But after beating the game once, there's a surprise. That's something that uh, will change the entire game you can play the game ag again from zero and it's not like you've unlocked a hard mode I mean every single puzzle of the game changes hmm. everything at all so and it turns completely cruel and, and, and sadistic and hardcore I, I mean it's really hard the second time you play the game we, we did this because we wanted to um, to give the opportunity for casuals for people that uh, that doesn't play video games a lot to enjoy the game to enjoy the story but after you finish the story, we wanted also to create a challenge for all life gamers like us. So they could uh, have to, to challenge themselves and try to find new ways to use the colors with new and complicated puzzles. So do you have everything unlocked in the beginning or is it same, same like the same progression system but all the puzzles are different? It's, it's like um, 
well, it's called the void mode, actually. And it's like revisiting the levels after they've been absorbed by the void. And they are uh, changed because the void has this, like destroyed them. So you can find more enemies inside, uh, and or the objects have moved, and the puzzles are different, but the ground, the physics of the ground, are the same. So it's like building two different levels inside one um, landscape. Interesting. So like the the game has like five worlds, correct? Um, what other themes then that the game will touch upon, and how do you then keep things fresh through the game? Because you have, of course, the various colors. You, um, you there is enough you can do it, but how do you make the puzzles fresh every single time that you come across a new obstacle? Mm-hmm. Well, it's that is about um, strategically uh, adding new feature, new elements to the game. I mean, uh, for example, the first time that you play, there's the story. To, to to well to help making the game fresher because you are unveiling it a, a little by little but uh, we also have different enemies and different assets that you can interact with and we usually well we, we don't put them all on the first levels of the game there are new enemies to be unlocked in every or to be found in every world but also I'd like to do something with the colors when you find a new color in the Alhambra you you have to use only that color to make uh, some puzzles at the beginning. But uh, while you progress through that world, you have to combine that color with the other ones. So it's not just like, I don't know how to say, like in Mega Man when they give you a new kind of weapon, you can try it and, and, and it's awesome and, and you have one more weapon and you can use it with the different enemies. But the abilities in Nihilambra can really blend between themselves. You can use, for example, brown to stick into a wall and then jump into a green ground to gain height uh, and reach higher places that yeah. you couldn't reach only with green. So, uh, actually, every time you add a new color, you add a lot of more possibilities, not just one more ability. Very interesting. So. The game was originally uh, meant to play it on mobile phone. What made you decide to bring it over to PC? What made you decide such a thing? Actually, it wasn't a, a late-time decision. When we were developing the game, uh, the first thing that we decided was to make a game for iOS. And I'll tell you the reason. The reason it was that mm, we wanted to be sure that the game would be released. We didn't know if we would be able to release it on console, for example, because you need uh, the approval of the owners of the platform. And on PC, we didn't know if we were able to to put the game into Steam. So we decided to go to the iOS, but because on the Apple Store, you only need a game that works to be sure that you're going to get in. And we designed the game with the touching interface in mind. That's why the color painting mechanics came to my mind, for example. But we wanted to port the game to PC after after releasing it on the Apple Store. That was uh, our plan since the beginning. So we, when I designed the game, I designed it for iOS, but I always kept in mind that I wanted it to be playable on PC, and I wanted it to be comfortable and functional on PC. So it wasn't uh, an, a difficulty to adapt the controls and to adapt the levels. The only huge problem that we found uh, the only mistake that we had when we were designing the game was that the 
Well, the game works with static screens. When you reach the edge of the screen, it suddenly moves to the next one, like in Apes Odyssey, for example. So when we adapted this to PC and we had wider screens, or when, when the iPhone 5 came out and they, and they have wider screens, it was a mess because we, we had to make everything wider with, with what, and that will change the level design. You know what I mean? Uh, we had this, yeah, this yeah, problem. I so we had to, well, we, want, we didn't want to use uh, black bars on the sides, so we had to make things wider and we had to adapt the levels one by one. That's one of the reasons why the PC version took so long to be ready. Yeah, that, it, I've seen it. It's, it seems like a big gap between those two versions. And the PC version is still planning to be released, right? It's like in September, is that correct? 25th of September, yes. Yeah. So it definitely took you a, a while to like adapt those levels to like the perfect format for PC. Well, we did other stuff as well. We remastered the soundtrack, for example. I mean, oh. we re-recorded the soundtrack uh, again to make it sound more like an orchestra. It sounds a lot better. It's awesome. And we added uh, voice acting that reads the, the text. I, I have noticed that in the trailer. It was um, it was very heart-pumping. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great voice. Uh, it's a guy who worked on uh, Orion, the, this game about dinosaurs. He, I, I heard some samples uh, about him and he was saying something like uh, headshot or blue screen or I don't know <laughs> this kind of shooter uh, screams but the voice was cool so we contacted him and he he liked uh, the game and he wanted to collaborate and I have, must say that the work is, is great I like I really like how it feels to the game and we also add an art gallery we adapted the menus I mean we made the PC version as Nihilumbra would have been if it was developed for PC from the beginning that's what we wanted to do. We didn't want people to to feel like they're playing a port or something. Uh, we wanted, I mean, we, we are all gamers and beautiful games, and we love PC as a platform. So when even when we started doing the game, we, we were waiting for this moment. And we have done what we would have made if it was a game for PC from the very beginning. So so the game is definitely coming to, to a PC on Yes, sure, correct. It's it, it's still up for Steam Greenlight, if so far I've seen. Mm -hmm. It will be available on the Sura or Gamersgate or, or Greenman Gaming or other portals. Mm -hmm. But yes, we, we haven't made it into Steam yet. Our game is on Steam Greenlight and we need lots of votes. So I, I use this to, to ask uh, for votes. So if anyone can hear me there, please uh, vote us because we really need it. Hey, I'll just give you the opportunity there. I left it open, but you took it. So that's exactly what they should do. Because even though this is, of course, about the Wii U version, I feel like games should be able to play by many people as possible. So hopefully people get on that and click yes on that link there. So <laughs> Actually, uh, that will help us uh, a lot as well. Even if they are not going to play the game on Steam later, uh, selling the game on Steam will mean some revenue for us and will help us to stay longer on the market and don't get caught by the void. Yes. Which is the most important thing of all, really. Yes. I mean, that void must be avoided as much as you possibly can. Um, so, going back a bit to the to the voice acting, um, this will be implemented all across the adventure, right? Because I, I've, I've seen, of course, only like 
most footage of like the mobile version, but is this like going to be splashed all through the game? Yes, the voice uh, acting reads all the text of the game, okay. except for the credits, for example. Okay. But uh, well, if you find it annoying or you want to play like the original game, you can turn it off and play only with music and sounds. But I really recommend playing with the voice because mm, it, it, I think it's great. I, I just recommend watching the trailer and and see for and hear for yourself. I feel like after hearing it for one minute, I'm like I want to play this with with voices on directly. So that that was very good. Um, another thing I was impressed by was like the presentation, which was like had really nice effects and ambient music. I feel how did that package come together so well? Like in your opinion? Well. I could say that we are really crazy about details. Um, the, the composer of the of the soundtrack is a friend of mine. I know him. I know him since we were a child, and I really, I, I was talking with him a lot of time, and I really explained to him what, uh, how should it feel, how the music should feel. But I, I told him to do the music that he wanted. We show him some in-game uh, gameplay and show him some screenshots and I explained him the mood of the game, the story, everything. And I also told him, uh, well, this music has to fit with a uh, snow mountain, this another one has to fit with a volcano and, and all that. Yeah. But uh, the composer of the soundtrack, Álvaro La Fuente, uh, he, he is a pro, he does, he does a great job. Actually, he made the music of the creature as well, of my first game. And and I don't know. We really understand each other. And the same happened with the artists and and even with the programmers. Uh, so it so it's harder to see. But everyone had really clear the image of the game in their minds. And mm, I don't know. Maybe the reason is that the game was designed before we started pressing any keys on on our computers. We knew what we wanted. We knew how we wanted it. And we only had to make sure that every step that we take was in that direction. Yes. So working towards one goal to get a game finished that you all wanted to play in the end, actually, or all wanted to show to the world. Yes. So moving on to Wii U. Now you're bringing the game to Wii U as well, which must be very exciting for you guys. Um, what are you guys then planning for the Wii U version, and what would make it more stand out from the other versions? Well, that's true. We are really excited with it. Yeah. Actually, yeah. in 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 Beauty Fun Games, uh, most of the people are are fans of Nintendo, and, and we usually stop working to see the Nintendo directs. And, yes. and I, I've one... I've have seen your uh, rea reaction on your website. Yes. 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 And well, the Wii U version obviously will keep all these new features of the remastered version of Nihilambra. It will keep the voice acting and it will keep the enhanced effects and uh, the remastered soundtrack and all this we've been talking about. Yeah. But um, we were thinking on maybe not adding more content to the game because that is something really difficult uh, because it's a really yeah. closed game. I mean, adding a new world mm, wouldn't make sense and we don't want to kind of break the game. Especially uh, for how the game is uh, spanned out, it, it wouldn't make, in, make any sense indeed, because you have t 42 bookends, you can't extend one bookend just for the sake of adding new content. Exactly. But uh, we have this, well, this Wii U controller with that is something really special, 
and we want to make use of it. So we have in mind a special game mode using the, the touch screen. And we will also add, uh, obviously, these uh, things that you saw on the first uh, video of Wii U, like uh, you can play on the TV or you can play only on your controller. Yes. And then if you play with both things at the same time, you have like a special game mode. Interesting. So do you have already any idea what this mode entails, or is this still like, you're still thinking of, of ideas, pretty no, much? No, 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 we, we are sure of what are we going to do. But we okay. are not sure if we will be able, so... Mm, I cannot say anything right now because we haven't tried already. Fair enough. Um, so we already touched on another, another question I had, which just was on the gamepad. So um, you're you're working on something with the gamepad. We're just not sure what, but we'll see. Um, how did you get started working with Nintendo? Because that seems like uh, such an interesting choice in itself. How did you like? How did you like approach them? Uh, what made like the Wii U such an ideal choice for the game? Well, actually, first of all, I must say that I really loved Wii U the first day I saw it. Uh, as a game designer, I think that it's something really revolutionary. Because yeah. well, I com always compare it with when the moment that they included joysticks on the controller. Yeah. It, it's adding something else to the controller that allows you to do something that you couldn't do before. Uh, I mean, the first Wii or Kinect or, or PlayStation Move... Yeah, they allow you to do different stuff, but they don't add anything to what you already have. It's like uh, something totally perpendicular, something that has nothing to do with the rest of what we've been doing till now. But Wii U really adds. It really adds something to, to the way we play it till now. And it's a great um, platform to introduce something that we could never do on consoles till now, which is um, asymmetrical multiplayer. When one player can be playing with one kind of controller on a TV and the other one has a different input because they see uh, another screen on their hands and they have a different control as well because they have a touching screen. That, that allows us to do designs that we couldn't do till now. And I think that that's really revolutionary. So I really liked Wii U the first time I saw it. That, and that's the reason. I'm not talking about catalogs or what is going to happen because I don't know it. But uh, I really love the controller and its possibilities. And well, we we saw Nintendo on, on on Barcelona's Game Lab, this convention in Barcelona, and we approached them and we showed the game to to the represent the representative of Nintendo there, and they liked it. They they loved the game. They when they saw the painting mechanics, they they instantly thought that it they could fit on Wii U perfectly because actually. Mm, it's it's another touching a screen, so it's something that, that it, it feels natural. Yes. And I must say that it was really, really easy, the, the whole process, because they liked the game, and I asked, what, what do you think about this game on Wii U? And they answered, mm, what can we do to make it happen? It was that easy. So we... Oh, so directly from, we open up the platform you, to you, let's make it work. Yes, 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 totally. We yeah. started talking via email after that, and yeah, as soon as we made our planning and we decided that we could do it, uh, they started uh, the process and we were ready to go in, in a few weeks. And appearing on the Nintendo Direct was their idea, actually. 
they said that if we could send them some in-game footage and they asked us if they could put it on a Nintendo Direct and we thought about it and we answered yes. Yes, please. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because that's that's directly for you like like pre-launch marketing so people already know what to expect from what's to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's something great. Also, Nintendo Direct, everybody is, is looking at that. And it was a great yeah. chance for us. One of the hardest things for us is to find visibility for indies uh, in general. If, even if you make a great game, um, I'm not talking about on my game, I'm not trying to say that my game is great, it's not me who has to say that, but it doesn't matter if, if you make a great game or not. I mean, it helps, but you need visibility. And that's something really difficult to find without money or without lots of time or experience in marketing. So these kind of things like the Nintendo Direct or, or this interview, uh, we really appreciate them and they really help. Well, thank you very much. No, thanks to you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, 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 it seems so interesting to me that Nintendo is opening up in this way and allows you pretty much to to be on the direct before even like the game is out which gives pretty much like the best sense of marketing what you can have because it gave me the idea to start up these interviews and to open up the floor to any developer who wants to talk to me and I, f I feel like Nintendo has done an excellent job actually conveying these games yes yes uh, I know that I repeat myself but they, they've been great during all the process they've been really helpful we haven't uh, finished the Wii U version yet, and we haven't tried to put it on the eShop, so I cannot talk about the whole process, but yeah. the first steps have been really easy and, and peaceful and, and, and great, yes. Nice, nice. So what does the future hold for your company after this game? Um, are you already thinking about what is next, or is it still like... Let's first finish up the PC and Wii U versions. Let's first release those, and then we'll think what's going to happen. No, actually, one of the reasons why the PC version took so long is because we are developing at the same time our next game. Ah. And right now we are we have a playable version, and we are testing it, improving it, enhancing it. But it looks awesome. It's something that we are really excited with the new project. Something that uh, I always wanted to do. It's a radical change from Neil Umbra. It's not a side scroller. It's uh, it's not a puzzle platformer neither. <laughs> I mean, let's see what I can say. The next game is called uh, Mega Magic, oh. and as you can guess, it's about magic and about mega. <laughs> and well, if if Neil Umbra is a platformer with a twist, we could say that Mega Magic is an RPG with a twist. Ah, okay. So if we were inspired by Prince of Persia to make Nihilambra, uh, right now we are inspired um, on the first uh, Zeldas. Yes. And Streets of Rage. Oh, okay. And uh, Command and Conquer. <laughs> and Pokemon. Mm. That's a whole bunch of different games. Yes, and uh, it's not like uh, we are not grabbing the, all these mechanics and, and putting them together like a game with lots of mechanics. I mean, there, it, it's a new mechanic, it's a new way of, of playing. It's well, I, I haven't seen this kind of game before. Maybe it exists. It, that usually happens, but it's something that is just in between of these four games. 
I know it's it's hard to to imagine a, a mix between Zelda, Streets of Rage, Command and Conquer, and Pokemon, but it feels really natural. I, I, I think that's all of it. Then I don't think anything else to ask, except if you have anything else to add or anything to say to the audience, because um, you're more than welcome to do so. Well, um, let's make some advertisement. Uh, I want to remember that we are on Steam Greenlight and we, we're we trying to get some votes there and, and any upvotes will, will help a lot. But also I must say that uh, the Nihilambra will be available on 25th of September, but right now it's uh, already available for pre-order with a discount at Gamersgate, for example. And we will, as soon as we get into Steam, we will deliver free Steam codes to everyone who bought the game before. So don't worry if you want to play the game on Steam, you can buy it now, vote us, and as soon as we get there, we, you will receive a, a Steam code. That's very nice. Uh, we are, uh, well, no, I don't know, we, we are, I am a really a hardcore Steam user, I have like 350 games, <laughs> so it's hard, it's easy to me to imagine uh, what people think when they buy the game, and I understand that sometimes people don't want to buy the game on other platforms because they only want to put all the games into their library, uh, library, pardon, library in Steam, and expand it, no, so, uh, we keep this in mind and we offer this possibility because uh, we, we are gamers after all and we understand what gamers want. That's fantastic to hear. So what only wests me then is to thank you for this interview. Thanks to you. As I said, uh, the hardest part of being an indie is to find visibility. So I am always happy to talk about the game or I'm always happy to meet someone interested in what we do. No problem at all. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Hello everyone, and uh, this is once again an interview for an upcoming Wii U eShop game. I'm here with... Dark de Geus from Paladin Studios. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. Can you um, begin by talking about yourself and what you do? Sure, I'm, uh, I'm Dirk. I'm basically founder of Paladin Studios, co-founder to be precise, and uh, what I do is uh, we're a small independent studio and we you know we make games obviously and I'm kind of doing just about everything ranging from kind of creative direction of the games to uh, I don't know drinking coffee and <laughs> cleaning up stuff and you know every, everything so we're a small shop so that's how you're, it goes you're, you're the guy responsible for everything so every, so if something goes wrong responsible for everything is on your job title yep yes. yep um, so I was looking at your site like earlier today and it seems like that Paladin Studios has made some interesting experiences um, so, on mobile phones and somewhat on PC um, could you give me an overview of what you guys have worked on in the past sure uh, so uh, we started in 2005 that's eight years ago mm -hmm. and Back then, we did a lot of uh, yeah client projects. So we uh, worked for all kinds of uh, clients, and we did projects ranging from I don't know simulators to um, we even did a cheerleader choreography application. 
Wow. Okay. If that makes sense. Um, and you know, uh, more and more, we started building games, and these games that we uh, we uh, we basically built. They were usually not really entertainment. They were more uh, focused on education or marketing or all kinds of stuff. Um, because we had clients that needed a game for a specific purpose. Yes. Um, so, um, what you can see on our portfolio uh, on our website is basically the stuff that we did ourselves. Because from the start, we basically had the dream of becoming an independent studio and uh, basically doing our own projects, uh, building games that we like to play, that we like to build, and then, uh, yeah, basically. Uh, uh, pushing them out into the world. And one of the biggest titles uh, that we did so far is Momonga Pinball Adventures. And yes. that's actually the one that's coming to Wii U. Yeah. And um, the other ones are somewhat smaller uh, titles. We did a racing game for, uh, or in collaboration with uh, Nico RC Racing. They, they build radio controlled vehicles. Yes, I've, I've seen that. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a really nice uh, company and they. They build these toy cars, and uh, we basically build a g game for them. And uh, we did some other, uh, other. Well, actually, one of the smaller independently published titles is Jimmy Pattaya, which is uh, an iOS Android game. And in that game, you ha basically uh, have to avoid all kinds of obstacles while falling without a parachute. So that's kind of a really small little experiment, you could say, yes. uh, for us to. Uh, basically explore the, the possibility of actually building and publishing a game uh, in that case on iOS. So. Yep, there you go. That's, that's an entire mouthful. I was still impressed by the whole cheerleader thing. But, uh, <laughs> I was like, what? what, what, what? <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a quite an impressive little portfolio of games there. Um, so your latest game is Momonga Pinball Adventures, which you just said and mentioned, uh, which has been released not that long ago on mobile devices. Um, to begin with, what's like what's like the narrative you are trying to tell in the game? So the it's okay. So first of all, it's a pinball game, but it's yeah. not really uh, a regular pinball title. Yes, yes. Actually, it's more an action adventure game than anything else. Um, but you use flip flippers to basically navigate through the levels. Um, mm -hmm. And the storyline is that uh, you play a little flying squirrel. Actually, uh, uh, that's where the title comes from, because the Momonga is a Japanese dwarf flying squirrel. Yes. They actually exist. So if you have the time, look it up on Google. They are the cutest animals alive. And uh, basically, his tribe has been uh, kidnapped by evil owls. And those owls, they, uh, they basically took everyone, they burnt the tribe down, and the hero of the game is Momo. He's a, he's a young uh, Momonga, and he's basically the only one uh, who survived that attack, or basically the only one who was still free after the attack. Oh, the gives it a kind of a dark start there. Ooh. Yeah, it's a pretty dark start, and if you start the game, it's kind of... Yeah, it's pretty intense. Uh, it's probably not what you would expect from the screenshots uh, that you see, but yeah, uh, it's it is uh, it is kind of uh, yeah dark. Uh, um, actually, we just uh, we discussed uh, some of the ratings, and 
uh, it's kind of funny because one of the things that's actually kind of happening is genocide. <laughs> because they basically take away all those Mumungas and they basically raid that tribe and they take everybody away. And that's kind of a pretty intense storyline. And I, I wrote the story myself, so I felt really bad about that. So that's kind of funny. But anything, anyway, um, you, the, the good part is that actually Momo uh, is saved by Panda. Uh, Panda the Panda, actually, that's his, his name, yes. and he, he heals Momo and trains him, uh, and basically you set out on a quest to find your tribe and to defeat the evil forces in the world, and uh, yeah, you do all that with flippers. Yeah, but looking at the game, it was like more, indeed, like you said, it was more like an action-adventure, or more like a pinball platformer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, Could you... Tell me a bit how this style of gameplay came about, because it, it it seems like you have taken a basic concepts and then run with it. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much what we did, I guess. Um, yeah, so at the very early beginnings, we uh, came up with a lot of ideas, and one of them was a pinball game that would be infinite. So. We basically looked at all those uh, endless runners that were on iOS and Doodle Jump and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, we thought, okay, that's interesting. And one of the, the programmers, Yorick, he came up with the idea to do, uh, he called it Pinball Forever. And that would be like a pinball game, but instead of uh, in a fixed cabinet, you would basically have to get as far as possible, as high as possible. Mm. And uh, that's what we started with. And when we built that prototype, we uh, we basically presented it to some testers, and they loved it. They were really hooked. So we figured, okay, maybe pinball isn't that after all. And uh, that's what we uh, when we decided to actually go for it. Now, in the in the process of of doing this, we discovered that one of the toughest parts of pinball, aside from the physics, is that you actually have to have a really good level design. Um, because if you have a regular action adventure, you can walk around, you can basically get everywhere. But with pinball, it, a lot of gameplay revolves around getting to places that that are hard to reach, skill shots and all kinds of uh, things. You don't ha really have direct control over the ball. Yes. So it's really important to get the level design right and to create a game that kind of has generated levels. Um, was really raising the bar a lot for us because we never did a pinball game before um, and it was like we first have to discover what a good pinball level consists of so it was kind of like we felt we were not really ready for that and then we figured okay if we make it level based then all of a sudden we can add um, basic, basic concepts of uh, uh, of the um, uh, of the um, I'm sorry of the uh, of action adventures and storylines and uh, and all that kind of stuff. So it was kind of a it, it made it easier for us to kind of sit down, design those levels, uh, and we had the bonus of uh, added storyline and all that kind of stuff. So we figured, okay, this, this is really a good approach, and that's how it came to be. And then yeah, the storyline kind of evolved. We started off with some generic uh, fluffy balls with eyes, <laughs> you know, cute little, uh, cute little pinballs, and that was nice, but it felt a little bit generic. 
Yes. And so we started searching for, okay, what kind of objects or animals can we use or whatever can we use to, to make it interesting? And we started with, I don't know, onions and pickles somehow. I don't know <laughs> why. <laughs> Radishes. Um, and at a certain point, I remembered that I saw a, a picture I saw on a, a website called cuteoverload.com. Uh, <laughs> it is uh, at your own risk if you choose to go there because you'll be busy for 30 minutes just looking at really cute cats and hamsters. And uh, actually, one of the pictures was uh, that of a momonga. I didn't know what kind of animal it was, but I remem remembered that picture. Uh, I remember seeing it, and they were little fluffy squirrel things that were basically uh, almost in, in a ball shape. So I figured, okay, that might be something. So I actually went through the whole website. I think it was like 20 or 30 pages of cute overload before I actually got to that picture. <laughs> and then you looked at some and some of the animals again and said, oh, no, no, I have to focus. I have to move on. Yeah, to, to exactly. <laughs> so that took me three days now. But, um, uh, and then I found out it was actually a momonga. And I didn't know that these guys existed, but it was actually Japanese dwarf flying squirrel. So I really felt like, well, we hit the jackpot here. Let's do it. Yeah. So. That's kind of an interesting way of finding your character. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Um, so in, in the beginning, of course, the game seems a bit on the east side because you have to introduce elements. Um, how does the game then become challenging later on because you introduce like new elements and uh, what kind of obstacles has MoMA has to face. I'm I'm interested also in how like the difficulty wraps up that sort mm -hmm. side of things. Yeah, sure. So in in later stages, uh, we for example we add a sidekick, um, and there's a couple of so actually it, it's um, we use a lot of the mechanics, but the flipper part stays mostly the same. Uh, there's also a flying part where you basically have to uh, just fly, fly and pick up stars and avoid the obstacles. So it's yeah. kind of simple, but it works. And um, in the in the flipper part, we start off really smoothly with just hitting some targets, and but then later it becomes more difficult because the targets disappear sometimes and they move and they they bounce around and there's all kinds of stuff going on. Mm -hmm. um, the real big ramp of difficulty uh, appears uh, with uh, uh, the introduction of a character called Guaca. That's Guaca the mole rat, and he's he's this uh, uh, Peruvian mole rat who is basically um, in in the underground uh, underground dungeons, you could call it of of a, a lost city, and uh, he um, I won't spoil spoil too much, but he kind of helps you, um, and that actually introduces a second rolling character. So we actually have multi ball in that level, um, mm. and that that really ramps up the difficulty a lot. Then after uh, after that you get another sidekick uh, called Fry the Firefly. And this is a sidekick who is a firefly uh, with coming from kind of a kung fu tradition where uh, we call it fire fu. And these firefly tribes, they basically have uh, kind of a, a tradition where uh, the apprentices, they, they fight each other when uh, the gong rings. So you hit a bell and then he goes into a frenzy and he will help you defeat the owls that, that are in those levels. Um, and that, that's actually kind of 
so we kind of ramp up the difficulty a little bit with more complex moves and uh, at the end of episode one there's a boss fight where you face the the general Kutan which is uh, who is basically the the evil owl general who kind of coordinated the raid on your village you have to face face him and that's actually a pretty tough uh, enemy so you go for various levels have action platform elements and with of course the pinball elements of course and then you end off every chapter with a boss fight yep okay so that's the entire game in a nutshell yeah um, but next to like the regular adventure you also have like added some other challenges to the game correct yeah correct yeah so okay. the, the challenges um, so there are actually there are three bonus levels mm -hmm. and they kind of they are twists on the core mechanics of the game mm -hmm. um, the first bonus level is uh, kind of in a flying mode. Um, it's called Panda's Dream, and basically you have you play as Panda, you fly around and all that kind of stuff. Oh, you have okay. to pick. You have to actually pick up donuts and pizza slices because that's what he likes. And um, the second one is called Guachinko, and it's basically based on the character Guaca, and it's kind of like a pachinko. Um, I, I, yeah, I've noticed that in a screenshot. It looked really interesting. Yeah, it's it's like. Um, uh, pachinko is kind of like the the Asian version of pinball, you would you could say, and it's also uh, where the roots of pinball are. So you don't have much as much control over the ball as with flippers, but you basically have to um, find a good entrance into the a playing board with a lot of spikes or or little poles, and the ball basically randomly falls between those spikes, and basically you have to score as much points as possible. So it's kind of like it's almost yeah, completely chance-based. So it's kind of a nice li little twist. And the third one uh, is uh, an arena, an in sort of infinite arena. It's really tough to finish that one. And we've seen actually one person finishing it uh, so far. Um, okay. And you basically are you're in the same area, but you the the there are different rounds, different waves of challenges that you need to face, and uh, you need to get as far as possible. So if, if if one one person was able to finish it, how many levels were there in that specific challenge? Um, that was I, th I think there's a I'm not sure, but I think it's 18 18 levels. Okay, so so it's finishable, but not everybody will be able to. No, I I, th I would say that that is definitely reserved for the very persistent, hardcore pinball players that actually make it. So you have the the challenges, you have the main game. Um, is there anything else we've missed? Yeah, actually every storyline level also has specific mini quests, you could call it, challenges. And uh, you that basically flips around the level a little bit, so you might have a different objective uh, to finish that particular challenge. For example, maybe in a fly zone you would have to pick up all stars, stars or maybe avoid all stars, or slalom between the stars. So those are kind of the challenges that that uh, are on top of each level. So that adds a little bit of replayability, and it's really good for the completionists. But also, these are quite tough. They can be quite tough. So don't yeah. be fooled by the by the casual look of the game. It's actually uh, a pretty tough challenge. Pretty cool. So now you're bringing the game to Wii U, which is an interesting step away from mobile software. Uh, what made you actually interested in the platform? Um, yeah, well, first of all, the, the, the concept of Momonga is, the, from the start, we wanted to 
do it on consoles mm -hmm. in general. And the Wii U in particular is a console that is a little bit more uh, family-oriented, I would say. It's a little bit more friendly than, than most of the other, than the other big two, I would say. And uh, with Nintendo supporting indies like they do, it is really a big step for, uh, for kind of the indie community. And I think that makes the Wii U a really good platform to, de to develop for. Yeah. So that was a really uh, nice, uh, nice opportunity for us. So I think it really kind of you know if you see the screenshots, you you will see that Momonga kind of it's definitely influenced by the Nintendo look and feel of games, and we really try to make really high quality titles, mm -hmm. and uh, I think that would fit nicely with a platform like Wii U. So that's kind of the short version. Um, yeah, and and personally. It's kind of weird because everybody's kind of downplaying the Wii U at the moment, yes. um, and nobody knows where it's going, if it's going anywhere at all. Um, well, at least with the, the the next couple of months, at least software and so, some consistency consistency is happening. So absolutely. It'll be so I feel it's it's getting off the ground, but step by step. Yeah, and I've been feeling that like that for a couple of months, and. Um, I think we have obviously we have the hardware at our office, and I have the Wii U. Uh, basically, I, I play with it, and it's I, I like it. You know, it's a great piece of hardware, and with the with the lineup of of great games that Nintendo has, I think it's uh, yeah, it, it would be very awkward if that didn't take off at all. So yeah, I'm kind of a believer actually. So we'll see. Nobody yes. knows the future. We'll see. But but you you lot of course don't need triple triple A sales. It would be nice, of course. Exactly. I mean, it would yeah. be it would be incredible. But it, it's 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 more from it, with modest expectations and uh, getting there with with all the guns that you have. Um, but what are you then planning to add to the to the Wii U version? And what do you think like what do you think like the Wii U gamepad then brings to the table for your game? So the first thing we're going to add to the Wii U version is actually we're doing a complete overhaul of all the graphics in the game. Okay. So it's not just going to be a port of the existing stuff. Yeah. Uh, obviously it's based on the existing stuff, but uh, practically every 3D model in the game is getting a, a kind of a an overhaul, and we kind of we want it to look really good. Uh, and not just a port of a mobile game or whatever, you know, it's not, that's not what, what it should be. And I think, mm -hmm. uh, um, yeah, I think if, if we would do that, then it wouldn't be that much of a success, at least for us, because we want to make something that we're proud of, you know, that's, that's our, one of our main uh, driving forces. And course, yeah. Um, yeah, it starts to look really nice. So I, th I think that's a really good plus. Uh, we will also be adding some smaller uh, feature changes, uh, some nice little improvements, and but I can't I can't really tell a lot about that. But obviously we will just support the the controller. The thing is we don't it's a single player game essentially, so we yeah. don't have the a, uh, asynchronous uh, or the, the asymmetrical multiplayer things that that work really well uh, on the on the platform. Uh, but we will support the, the controller, uh, of course, so you can play on the controller if you want. You can play on the screen if you want, on a TV screen if you want. So but you can play it off TV play? 
yeah, that's yeah. that's right. at least that's our intention. I can't promise anything, but we no. wanna we wanna make that work. Mm. And uh, obviously, the the gameplay with the controller um, is is very it's very nice to just be able to use the shoulder buttons to flip those uh, things. And yeah, the, the the back shoulder buttons are exactly made for like those flipper handles. I feel. Yeah, exactly, and and that's. It's kind of a weird thing because it's so obvious and so straightforward, but I think that's one of the main features. <laughs> Just <laughs> b being able to use a controller and, and having that really instant access and feel to, to the flippers. Yes. So, how did you and Nintendo then came together, and what makes you ex excited with working with them? Um, yeah, I've been meeting with uh, with Nintendo guys for a while now. I think years ago we first met. Oh wow! And um, they they are really friendly, and they're really great to work with. Um, the thing that actually got me very excited was when they told me that they would kind of support indies for the Wii U and that you know they w they were taking the eShop very seriously. Mm -hmm. So that's really um, when uh, when our contact at Nintendo told me that I was really like, wow, this is so amazing. Um, you know, they're really opening it up. They're really supporting us as an independent developer, and that is. I mean, I don't have any shares in Nintendo. Obviously, I would love the Wii U to succeed, but that's really something very positive from a developer standpoint. Um, so they uh, added support for Unity, yes, which is super important for us because we work with Unity, and that kind of opened up the whole option in the first place. So that's that's kind of the starting point. And um, yeah, other than that, their support is really good. They, when we have a question, they answer within you know 30 minutes. And it's, it's like, it's such a big difference from uh, from what I hear, at least, about uh, the other uh, console platform holders, and also mm. the way that Nintendo used to be, right? So it was a really closed-off ecosystem. Yeah, we were and DSi were definitely like that, but especially with the 3DS and Wii U, it seems that they've opened up to more people, which is a plus, of course. Yeah, it is a big plus. And what I kind of hope that will happen is that a lot of the independent developers will just embrace the platform and start experimenting with it so that you get these nice games out there that are... And that's actually a nice thing about the Wii U in particular. It has this, you know, this controller with a screen that allows for a lot of interesting types of gameplay. So I'm mm -hmm. really curious to see uh, where that's ending up. And you can see Spin the Bottle, for example, as a great example of basically using that controller and uh, all the, uh, the the Wii the Wii uh, Wii modes and everything so yeah, it's it seems like at least technically and from a developer standpoint it's actually a pretty good uh, pretty good standpoint pretty good place to be in yeah, yeah and there and there's enough there enough to do with the platform and the controllers it supports so yeah absolutely yeah so f finally what is in store for then for your studio? Because are, are you still you're still busy with the Wii U version of this game, of course. But are you already thinking about what you're gonna do next? Are there surprises in store? What do you think? Are you gonna support like Nintendo in the future, especially with the Unity support that they have? Yeah. It, well, it depends on how Momonga goes, right? If yeah. if it is a success, obviously I would love to build Episode Two. 
and um, obviously we will support that. We will bring it out on Wii U. Yes. And um, you know, first I would say let's see how it goes, and if if it's a success, if we if we can basically uh, uh, break even on the project, then I consider it a success. And then, yeah, why not? Why not do it again and, and just continue supporting it and continue working on it? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Then um, I've been blabbering around for like 20 minutes. Is there anything else that you still want to bring up before we close it off? Uh, no, that's probably it. I mean, it's okay. awesome to talk to you, and, uh, you know, uh, well, well, you'll be hearing from more from us, I guess. Hopefully. Stay, um, stay tuned. <laughs> of course. And buy the game. Yeah, well, when yeah. it's out. Yeah. Yes. Well, they can buy it by now, mobile platforms, of course. Yeah, that's um, true. Yeah. Um, so then all what leaves me to do is to thank you for being on this podcast, and I hope that everything goes well. Well, thank you, Dan. It was a pleasure. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another interview. Today with me, or tonight, is Miguel. Yeah. How are you doing? Hi there. Fine. Just waiting for our Kickstarter campaign to to end. Uh, Yeah, because we're recording this on Friday, and this is the day when their Kickstarter campaign for Kendall which we are going to talk about yes. is going to end. Uh, but before we go into that, um, could you please introduce yourself to the audience? Well, I'm I'm Mike. You can call me Mike from Tecla Studios. I just I'm the owner, co-founder, and lead programmer there. And we're just doing our very first game, Candle, which is about to to end its Kickstarter campaign with a very successful Kickstarter campaign. So. Candle seems to be your first game as the company if you started Teco Studios. Have yeah. you done anything previously in video games beforehand? No, no, we, we're, we're no, we're we're all very very young people. We some of us are still at the university, so this is our very 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 first game and project. Well, that makes it extra exciting for you guys. Okay. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's very exciting, it, and and we we didn't expect the 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 good all the good comments we've had with with uh, with our crowdfunding campaign. We we launched it, and we didn't know if we could even fund it. But it seems that people is liking it a lot. So yeah, it's it's very exciting for us to be doing such a great game in uh, in in uh, in such a few time. Great, great, and it and it's not like you guys just started this game. I mean, I've read somewhere that you have been working on this game for roughly, what is it, one and a half years? Yeah, it, yes, no, no, doesn't more, doesn't, yeah, more like, yeah, it, it, it's not uh, even two years. So, so yeah, that's it's a very brief time, but we, we, we nailed the the, the final design concepts of the game very soon. So the development has gone quite, quite well and quite quick. So the story in the game involves Teku. Which is this character from a tribe called yeah. the Waka? Um, yes. What can you tell us more about the story, and what does it entail? Yeah, well, we're, we're still not uh, giving out many details of the story, but uh, it's it's uh, it's uh, it, the story of the game. First of all, is it it's told as a as a child book, like if your grandpa was telling you a story when you were a, a very young child, but it does not tell uh, such a childish and simple story. It tells a, a very dark and mature story. 
And the, the, the storyline just tells the story of Teku, which is uh, a pupil of the, his tribe's shaman. And their tribe gets attacked by the, by the rival tribe, and then he has to rescue all his friends. But uh, that's only the, the wrapping. The, the, real, the real story, without giving out many, much details out, uh, is a reflection of civilization seen through the eyes of, uh, of a child that is Teku, the main character. What drew really like my attention to the title was mm-hmm. the wonderful look of everything in the world. In your video, you have mentioned that you are drawing everything frame by frame. Is this a difficult process? And how does it impact creating your game overall? Yeah, it's both difficult and slow process, but it's, it's, it's going very well. The, the the hard part of it is that uh, watercolors uh, does not allow you to 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 amend any mistake you may do. So when the the artists make just one little mistake, they just to have to redo everything from scratch. So it's it's kind of a hard process due to that, but it's it's also a, a very satisfying one because it's uh, it, the results are unlike. A, any other thing that's out there for now. So yeah, it's it's a very tough process, but where it was our, our personal bet when we first started the development of Candle, and well, we're still happy with that. That seems quite ambitious for your first project, making the entire world frame by frame, and it it also looks like a rather yeah. tough challenge. Yeah, we 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 wanted from from the beginning to to really stand apart from other studios to say we're not just going to make games, but to make games that have something special, something special for, for us and something special for the public. So uh, my, my partner in Teco Studios, Jose, who comes from a, a very classic art formation, say, hey, why don't we bring uh, classic art into video games, not just on the concept side, but on the actual game side? And, and it was his personal bet. And yeah, well, for now, it, things are going well. And people is also reacting in a very good mood to it, yeah. so we're, we're happy we, we chose that way. So it looks like he's going to win the bet then. <laughs> yeah, yes. let's see. Um, so the game itself is mm-hmm. like a graphic adventure, which, yeah. which has seen like a light recovery in recent years. Yeah, um, it's... It... Yeah. No, it's 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 very curious how a, a, a genre that had uh, almost zero games out there in lots and lots of years now has has rebirth as as a very very popular genre. But I, I think that uh, it, well, in, since the moment that uh, uh, some studios wanted to take that that style of game one step further. It it just began another another era for them, and yeah, we, we also wanted to 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 explore that that way, and so yeah, we we went for that as well. What made you then decide for such a title? Because you seem to take proper page at books out of those games or from the older era. Well, we we just we we've uh, we've been playing that that kind of of a game since since we were very young, and we when we started to think in what kind of game we wanted to do, we always wanted to 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 honor the classic games that that made us love video games. In fact, so so yeah, it it was uh, when when we decided that this went, it was going candle was going to be a, a graphic adventure we we instantly said hey, what was what are the games that that most uh, that 
were most important for us in our childhood. And so then uh, th those classic games instantly came to our minds as a, as a primal reference and inspiration. Mm -hmm. So it's it's kind of exciting to make like a love letter to something that you are personally excited about. Yeah, first of all, we 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 develop games first and foremost for for ourselves. I mean, if if you are doing something that you won't wouldn't play or wouldn't like, it 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 just makes no sense on the creative side. These types of adventure games are very high on the gameplay mechanics. Are you going for a simpler approach, or are you going to stick to those roots? Well, we're we're just planning uh, very very hard puzzles. That's our our our, our bet on on gameplay. That the, we're just going for for a very uh, diverse kind of gameplay. That's why we haven't aimed for a point and click interface. But our 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 um, the the way that we're keeping the the classic gameplay is through through very hard thinking puzzles. That well, we we wanted to make a, a hard and difficult game from the beginning, and that's. That's where we're going also. In essence, it doesn't really matter for most if it is a point-and-click adventure. It just foremost counts how the puzzles will involve you all the time. Yeah, I also think so. When we think about some some graphic adventures, we instantly can, can recall certain puzzles that got us hours or even days until we solved them, at least in the pre-internet era, when you couldn't just look it up. Everybody looks things up these days, so it yeah. is less fun. It was way more special back in the day. Yeah, absolutely. Going further along, the main character holds constantly an item in his hands, which drives the experience to new places. Mm -hmm. This is a candle, and my question would be, how do you keep using this perk and make it fresh again and again? Well, we, we as I said before, we're building everything to, to have a, a lot of diversity. We the, the candle is not only meant for, for lighting effects, but uh, for a more, uh, more uh, subtle uses. We, we use uh, the candle for, for, yeah, for illuminating areas, but also for heating or warming things or to modify some inventory items. And even in another uh, gameplay part that is stealth, that uh, at night uh, you, you must uh, be careful whether you, you carry your candle on or off. So um, uh, certain enemies could be aware of your presence. So we were trying to keep a balance uh, between all, 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 the, all the ways of the gameplay. And we think that it will, it, will, it will be pretty diverse, yeah. Okay. Again, that's the most important thing, having that diversity in place, because that made yeah. those types of games so interesting and, and special. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, the atmosphere in the game stands, and, like, a big part of that was also, like, the music, because yes. on your Kickstarter page, you had, like, a few music mm -hmm. samples, yes. which... which Again, embark that like older adventure feel because I was listening to like one of the last tracks you put up. It was like very like Brighton and cheery. Um, how do you how do you got on board for do this sort of music and where do you got ideas for the music because that's something that's also I'm very interested in. Yeah, well, we when we first started thinking about the, the soundtrack, we instantly realized that we couldn't afford by any means some live orchestra or live instruments to be recorded. So we had to take one decision. And from the, the very moment that we had to go with, with MIDI, 
music, we say, well, it's then it's the perfect time to honor that uh, classic uh, soundtrack of classic games. So it it was a, 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 our main bait also on on that on that side because since since we have a MIDI music, we we wanted to have it the the same classic appeal that uh, classic uh, graphic adventures. And also as for the 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 instrumental side, we were doing a pretty interesting fusion because we are first of all we're we're using many tribal rhythms and and instruments that it's it's, it's so we, it's uh, we think it's uh, it stands apart a bit from the 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 nowadays typical um references because now many things are high-tech or sci-fi or uh, medieval fantasy so that was a a, a a very interesting stand apart point for us and also we wanted to honor a bit our our, our roots so we've also included some some spanish guitar on the on the on the melodies so it all has a a a, a very unique fusion and well that that was how we pulled things out you opened the lid on candle for a Kickstarter campaign, and this one is closing as we speak. With these experiences in mind, how do you think it went overall? It went perfect. We 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 barely think we could make it uh, to the to the to the minimum goal. So, and we've exceeded it in more than uh, ten thousand dollars. So for us, it's 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 perfect. It just gone perfect because we. If we needed that budget, we we've now we 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 got more than we needed, far way more. So it it it's just yeah, it, it went perfect. And also on the community side, we've we've been very pleased to because we've met lots and lots of good people who who really enjoyed our game and our campaign and wanted to help us out and to spread the word. So the the crowdfunding campaign has couldn't have gone better. That is fantastic. Uh, one of your goals initially was a Wii U version, but this is still going to happen. Yes, yes, uh, absolutely. What made you give the go-ahead anyway? Yeah, well, it, it, we we just uh, uh, thought that the the the, um, the possibilities of the console and its gamepad uh, were were perfect for our our kind of game. For a graphic adventure, all the, the the mini games and the inventory usage and all other stuff that you can do with with the gamepad uh, fits perfect with with our, our our ideas and our thoughts. And so we 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 instantly thought that yeah, why wouldn't do do it? Because we we, we like the console, we like the the gamepad, we liked how how the game could be improved through that. And also, we we like how how Nintendo is going for for the indie side of of the of the industry. So we we soon realized that yeah, it's it's something that we can do. Maybe not for for the launch release date, but for some weeks or months later. But we yeah, we we definitely wanted to go for it because we think that it will make our game better after all. Okay, that sounds good. So what made you? How did you approach Nintendo, and how were they in their reaction to it? It was kind of a mutual approach. We, we, uh, they, they is uh, Nintendo. Nintendo Spain soon uh, got in touch with us, and we. It was almost the same time that we decided to go with the console. So we then uh, sent them our proposal, and they they just. Uh, 
found the game okay and, and approved us. So it was it was kind of uh, yeah kind of mutual. Okay, so it was a mutual approach. That that is yeah. good. Um, yeah. This might be way too early for this, but are there going to be any specific features just for the Wii U game? Um, yeah. Are you going to use the Wii U gamepad example in exciting ways? Well, we of course the first thing that you can think of is the uh, of the inventory system. The inventory system means means pausing the game or some somehow stopping the action. But now with a second screen, you can do it in a more agile way and in a more natural and intuitive way by the tactile options. And also, the game has uh, many uh, splash screen mini games which. Uh, you can yeah you can play it with with buttons or keys regularly but with with your hands it also feels like a more intuitive and fun way to play so the the, the tactile and touch screen uh, features are the thing that most fit with 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 the game and also we're thinking of some some other uh, uses uh, like like blowing the microphone to turn off the candle and all other kind of things. So you're still looking at all the features that the gamepad has and yeah. yeah we we have you have most things defined, but we still since there there are still many months of development ahead. We still want to 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 design some things. Calmly. Of course, you're also still looking at the PC side because that is the one you're currently yeah, focusing on. Yeah. And you're also hoping, of course, to get the game on Steam Greenlight, correct? Yeah, you we're we're, we're and we're doing very well there as well. We're almost at the at the top 100 of most voted games, so well, we hope we hope to also make it there. Well, if people want to click it, it is essentially for you guys very important. Um, I had this discussion with another developer where it's not only about getting your games at as many platforms as possible, yeah. but getting your face on also on that service yeah. helps you get some recognition and also helps you a bit of a brand view. Yes, of course. Yeah, we, let, let, let's see if we can get there. But we're 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 so, we're also optimistic on that side. And we, we, for now, in just a month, we we have we have more than fifteen thousand votes to get the game into the platform. So well, we'll see if we can do it. But yeah, it would it will help us a lot as a company because well, the the exposure that the game will get uh, on that platform will, will be the biggest out there. That would be very nice, and it would also help to build up a little brand for yourself. Yeah, um, is there anything else that we haven't discussed that you want to bring up? Well, for for now, we we just have to 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 settle things down after the crowdfunding and uh, rearrange some, some things on the development. So, for now, that's all, and we we will we'll keep uh, giving more details in the in the in the further months ahead. So more to come in the coming yeah, months. Absolutely. Um so you're planning to release the PC version in January? Yeah. And the Wii U version is still up in the air, correct? Yeah, it's it I we we don't want to make a, a very quick approach because we we don't we don't know how it's it's going to 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 cost us. It it will come out definitely that that's 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 uh, absolutely but we it may be one two months after 
maybe before it depends on how much time do do we need to to correctly port all the all the features into the and that is of course the most important thing having the features yeah. well put together and being well implemented yeah because we we don't want to to make any kind of quick and quirky port we really want to develop exclusive uh, gameplay feature for that console it, it 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 makes the most sense you 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 it will be silly to make a, just uh, a quick port for for nothing and even if you would do them at the same time, the PC version would perhaps also suffer a bit. Yeah, that way every every single version will be the same quality than the others, and that's 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 the point after all. And at the end, the product must make people happy, so it will, yeah, it will make course. you guys happy to do it in steps. Yeah. Yeah. Okay then. Then there's nothing else that rests me than to thank you for yeah. being on this interview. Thank you as well for interviewing us. Hello everyone, and this is yet another interview. Today with me are... Oh, uh, hi, I'm Bendik, uh, the game director at Snowcastle. And I'm uh, Frederick, uh, concept artist and various other hats. Various other hats. So <laughs> we'll wear a hat all day and then wear another hat next day. Um, as usual, we ask people to like introduce themselves, so I'll, I will let you go ahead and do that exact same thing. Okay, um, okay, as I said, I'm the game director and uh, I've been. Uh, I started up Snowcastle about three years ago and I've uh, been working uh, building the team that we've got now. Okay. Uh, as a gamer, I've been playing adventure games and RPGs and strategy games since the 80s, so I'm quite the old school gamer. Um, but managed to. Uh, Acquire a team full of uh, game enthusiasts and really, really artists, uh, uh, really, really excellent artists. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's. Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, like I said, I'm a concept artist, uh, which is uh, primarily the role I try to fill. But uh, we're a small team, so uh, we have to wear uh, different hats, all of us. So I do, you know, texture work, some level design, and Unity, and yeah, a bunch of other stuff. Uh, as long as it's not programming, I'm good. Okay, so that's the only thing you can't really do. Okay. He doesn't want to. I'm sure he would be good if he tried. Um, so before starting your current project, which is called uh, Festival Magic, which we'll talk in a little bit, uh, you guys have also worked on some other games. Could you talk about those? Uh, <laughs> I'd rather not. But yeah, <laughs> oh. we, we started Snowcastle in October 2009 and... and uh, did lots of uh, smaller games for hire, so uh, we uh, made different stuff for uh, advertisement and uh, other Norwegian companies. Uh, it was a nice way of making some money, but not really the type of games we wanted to make. On a personal level, the upside yeah. though is uh, we developed like. Uh, like the workflow that we use today, and uh, we got some competence uh, using uh, our game engine, Unity, okay. uh, while doing that. So there was definitely an upside to that, like technically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then after having done all this prostitution, um, we uh, made our first uh, small uh, 
adventure game for kids for iOS and uh, macOS. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just called Hogworld. It's uh, with a little hog bunny. Uh, has to go on an adventure. Um, and uh, lately, we've also been helping out a San Francisco-based company called Massive Black, making uh, their zombie playground game, which was on Kickstarter uh, I see. a while back. And then um, that's about it, really. Okay. So your new game is a role-playing game, which seems like a difficult genre to partake in. Uh, what made you want to make an RPG, and are there problems that you already have encountered along the way? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have no foresight, so we just uh, <laughs> we just went for the most challenging genre. <laughs> no, um, actually, we all uh, we're all RPG geeks here, so uh, it seemed like uh, I guess it was the only choice after much uh, discussion about what we wanted to make. Yeah. yeah. It's. Uh... It's all based on a meeting we had back in 2012, in, in the beginning of the year, where we uh, sat down and started to discuss our next project. Yes. And it turned out we were a pretty uh, homogeneous bunch of people, all loving RPGs and adventure games. Yes. So it was very unanimous. <laughs> so it was already a quickly decision from, yeah, we're going to make an RPG no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> that's that's uh, very ambitious. Um, <laughs> yeah, and um, as uh, you asked if there were some uh, difficulties, uh, yeah. for one, uh, which has been there all the time, is of course financing. But I guess no. every indie developer have that problem. Um, and uh, yeah, tied into the financing, obviously, is the uh, scope of the game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, it's uh, we we constantly have to uh, try to balance how much we want to put in with uh, how much we can put in, given the money we have. So yeah, uh, those are uh, you know the 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 big and boring ones. Yeah. <laughs> Another yeah. interesting. Uh, Problem is bridging half the team's love for Eastern RPGs with other half team's love for Western RPGs. So, one person will try to advocate uh, making something uh, inspired by Final Fantasy, and and the other will start fighting for more like in Winter Nights and Baldur's Gate and uh, yeah, yeah, Western RPGs. So obviously that's a challenge, but um, I think I think maybe there's an upside to that as well because uh, once you have like a pull in two different directions and you have to find that middle ground, uh, you'll come out with something that are that is possibly at least uh, more unique than going down like a very yeah. prepaved road. Yeah, because you will then go if you would take one direction, it would also be like a checklist you would list off, and with having like. The Western and Eastern side in check, you would see from, okay, this works, and the narrative is another important factor of any role-playing game. Um, could you give a glimpse of what the story is about, and maybe an overview of the characters? I don't know. Yeah, that's one card we keep close to the chest. Uh, yeah. We um, we have released in, uh, some screenshots of the planet, though, so we can probably give a little bit about that. It's a planet that uh, quite a while ago went through a 
cataclysmic event where the whole planet stopped rotating. So one side is in eternal day and the other is internal night with all the global changes that causes. Um, yeah, and the, <laughs> the whole thing with the world stopped rotating uh, was not a random event. Um, so uh, not a there are event even no. <laughs> <laughs> it sucks to kind of spoil that stuff, but uh, the player will discover uh, both the reason for what happened long time ago uh, and uh, how to um, uh, prevent or go ahead with uh, whatever whatever lies in the future. I don't know. This is all very vague. I feel like I'm so coy yeah. with this yeah, now. But, but I think <laughs> can say that we're quite inspired by um, Deus Ex on that part. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, story-wise. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a fake, it's, a, it's a fake description, but it, it, as long as it conveys what you're trying to tell, it's alright. Um, another thing which has been a staple of RPGs is using weapons and spells to overcome foes. What kind of direction have you taken for this specific title? We've been inspired by games like Harvest Moon and Animal Crossing where you can grow your own plants and, and resources. Which is uh, also like a, a slower paced, more meditative gameplay, I guess. Yeah. More yeah. than, you know, uh, run around and, and, and uh, grind on the next combat encounter, yeah. right? Which ties really nice in with the adventure feel we also like to put in our game. but. Uh, in order to tie this in with combat, we've decided that uh, all the plants or the fruits of your harvests will be your magical magic ammunition so and spells. So uh, you will run around in, in the game and as you discover new areas and monsters, you will also find new plant seeds that you can bring back to your harvest field and grow new, the new ammunition. Um, it was uh, yeah. It was very important to us to not have uh, or to try to uh, tie in the harvesting mechanic mechanics to the uh, to the uh, combat stuff or the the quest stuff because uh, otherwise it, it, it we feel we'd run the risk of having having it feel like two different games like it was you know totally disjointed. Yes. So, uh, so um, uh, we feel it was kind of an elegant solution to tie the uh, meditative, slower-paced uh, farm farming mechanism into the uh, into the combat and into the quest lines. Yeah, and you will be able to catch monsters monsters later on also, and those monsters will eat uh, things you grow as well. And, All right. And we even have some barnacle, like almost like cattle that uh, that you will uh, capture, and and they will. Uh, run around in in your harvesting area or in on the beach uh, and produce things for you if you feed them. Mm. So you've got uh, different types of uh, farming, like uh, what do you call the uh, cattle and sheep and stuff. Uh, I don't know, uh, livestock. Livestock, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you have you have crops and you have livestock producing various assets, all magical, of course. So. One of the things I've noticed about the title is that you're traveling on a boat to explore new lands. Uh, this seems inspired by games like Beyond Good and Evil, which is certainly, certainly I can appreciate. Is this like 
this isn't like an often used trick in the book, but what makes like using it so exam so enjoyable to you? Uh, I think uh, like like a gut just by from a gut feel point of view. I mean, uh, traveling by boat uh, feels like you know uh, you're suddenly exploring this huge world, and you're not. Uh, Maybe it's just because it's novel. You're not traveling by foot. You're not trudging along, you know, or sitting on a horse, which you see. It's a nice variation to to exploring uh, a huge area. Yeah, and like uh, uh, for example, in Zelda: Wind Waker, uh, you have this overworld thing uh, yes. with the boat, which makes it. I, I don't know. You you're not opening a map and then clicking on a destination, and that thing loads. Uh, even though you, you you travel pretty quickly between areas, you just get a feel for you know being in the world, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, and, that makes sense. And the boat um, will have um, several upgrades, okay. which will give it enhanced features. Yes. <laughs> which will not be revealed at this time. Yes. Yeah, there's some. In, I think there's some stuff in the, the developers blog where. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, uh, published some image concept images. Yeah, part of the idea is that uh, by upgrading the boat uh, with, okay, for example, legs, right? You'll get access to areas you wouldn't uh, get, obviously, if the boat was uh, waterbound. So uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like the AT&T from Star Wars with a boat on top. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of funny. Um, but there are, if people want more want to read about that, I think it's they can just go to the website and read about that. Or look at it, possibly. Yes. Um, what other influences you have for this title? Seeing that you are in like a smaller studio, it seems like that you really push like the love letter agenda and blending things you love. Yeah, well, uh, yes, of course. I mean, uh, we're all gay. <laughs> yeah, and we're all enthusiasts. Uh, so, uh, I mean, like you said, being a smaller studio, the love letter agenda is uh, definitely something we're, we're pursuing. I mean, uh, even though we're trying to blend it in maybe a, a new way, I mean, we're not going down a checklist and making a Final Fantasy clone or uh, a Zelda clone, right? Yeah, but yeah. but we're obviously obviously influenced by games we love. Um, yeah. There's nothing wrong about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like you said. It's uh, with the the boat was that's fun. Yeah, we we all love Monkey Island series, and and we really like to uh, have uh, a lot of humor in the game. As yeah. An example. As for you know uh, examples of influences, we've mentioned some uh, Zelda, obviously, Final Fantasy, Harvest Moon, Animal Crossing, down to Deus Ex or or XCOM for that matter, uh, being a turn-based combat yeah, game. Nino Kuni. Nino Kuni, yeah. yeah. So the list goes yeah. on and on and on. That's uh, quite a bunch of games to be uh, referencing there. <laughs> Not necessarily. Uh, yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, uh, what, what we like to do is to find the elements of different games that works. So this game will be will will have turn-based combat, yes. and and so we're not trying to mix in real-time combat. Nino Kuni did that, and it didn't work for me. Um, so we, the adventure game pace, I think, works really well with the turn-based combat pace. 
But if you if you add, uh, add an adventure game and then you add some uh, or take an adventure game and then you add some really uh, fast-paced real-time combat, it just it doesn't mix well in in my opinion. Yeah. So uh, we're trying to keep the gameplay elements um, of a type that works well with the the person or the mood you're in when you're playing an adventure game or a strategy game or like the harvesting part. Uh, and so we feel they all mix well together. Um, something that I've seen in other interviews discussed with you a lot is that there are some multiplayer elements to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, since we're such a small, or we have such a small budget, we have been forced to make the game as an episodic release. Uh -huh. uh, and of course, there's going to be dead time in between those releases. Um, and also, we thought it would be fun to allow players to play together. Um, and the way we, would, we were going to do that is by allowing players to continue the game outside the story scope, uh, more uh, on an infinite um, time scope, yes. where, you, where you can harvest crops and, and, and train your monsters, and then you can uh, fight against other people's monsters in asynchronous PvP. So nice. uh, I can take my player team and I can fight uh, other monsters from other players uh, or their monster teams. And then we'll fight over resources basically. So I can uh, stock up my monsters and, and put them in uh, the combat arena and then when I log off or I don't play uh, they will be able to fight for me while I'm offline uh, and then when I get back on uh, they might have won or lost uh, resources depending on how good they were. And also we're going to keep uh, some firewall or uh, a wall between the resources for that type of gameplay and the RPG single player uh, RP, uh, gameplay. So it's not like you can fight and fight uh, other people and then when we release ne the next episode you will just burn through it like really easy. Uh, <laughs> that, would, that, would, that would just be too nice for some people. Yeah, no that's not gonna happen. Uh, no. the, the RPG game is a game where you're supposed to be like the hero and we're not gonna um, interfere with that there will be no other heroes uh, mm -hmm. in your game when you're playing the, the narrative part. Yes. That's very important. Of course. So, the game has certainly a fun look to it, and the designs that you have released on your website look very interesting. Uh, what are some of the decisions made for the art direction? Uh, let's see. Uh, first off, uh, we never wanted to go in the like gray slash brown slash dystopia direction. Uh, we we love stuff like uh, you know all the movies from Studio Ghibli, and uh, like I mean the Final Fantasy worlds are are super colorful, even though they can be uh, uh, very you know it, it can be a depressing storyline or whatever, and it's still it's still. Colorful. Uh, we don't necessarily want to go out and take a photo of dirt and then you know map that on stuff to have it look like dirt. <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, not for the. So, so yeah, we we definitely wanted to go in a hand painted, colorful uh, direction just because uh, 
I mean, we feel that uh, maybe a stylized world is easier to sell. I mean, uh, if, if you if you if you go down the 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 um, photo photorealistic road, I mean, it, you you get caught in uncanny valley so fast, and it's. Uh, and it's a lot more expensive, obviously, to... Yeah, it's, it's also like a much bigger scope you have to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, for, for you know, the game we wanted to make and the influences we had, like, uh, or the games where we started out referencing, the movies started out referencing, we we're uh, definitely looking at us as a stylized, more colorful, colorful world. Uh, apart from that, we've been, you know, uh, me and the art director we're constantly uh, exchanging uh, stuff we find that we find interesting. So everything from like Mesopotamian culture uh, through to through to like specific games are are referenced and put in there uh, for patterning and uh, character designs, monster designs, everything. Yeah. Okay. Of course, this game is coming to Wii U. It is always expected that the Wii U gamepad is used in some fashion. What are some of the features you're currently thinking of, and what makes the controller stand out for you? It's a bit early because we uh, we just started playing with the develop developer kit, um, mm-hmm. and uh, we have ideas how we would like to use it. For example, for the world map or for inventory things. But uh, yes, I really like to to play with it and and try out different features, and then just take. Uh, those that really work well. Uh, we're not going to shoehorn in anything. Um, sure. But yeah, as I said, it's a bit early because we just started playing with the, the developer kit. So you just want to first play around with it, take notes, and then look after. Yeah. Yeah. Some, like you said, some initial ideas have been like moving maybe some GUI parts and uh, like the world map stuff that you uh, want to. If you want to keep all the screen real estate. For the in-game stuff, and and maybe move that down to the pad, but it would be, it'd be fun. I mean, if we if we could find something, some cool way to interact directly with the game through the through the through the screen. Yeah, but I'm I'm also open for maybe looking at a, I don't know, maybe a two-player co-op for the harvesting part, so you can play two characters there. I don't know. It's we just wanted to experiment with it a bit first. <laughs> yeah. To the developers I've been talking to. Gave praise to Nintendo is on pretty important regards. Their willingness to listen and open up the platform for you is perhaps the most significant one. Um, how were they to deal with? Uh, really, really nice. Uh, I spoke to Dan uh, Edelman at uh, Game Developers Conference in San Francisco in March, and uh, Tim Simmons in, in Europe, and they've just been so helpful. Uh, yes. We went through a certification process really quick. And yeah, I think uh, we were fast tracked. Yeah, so it was yeah, really it was nice. Fast. And there've been like, where whenever there was a tiny problem, they would just solve it. Yes. So um, and we've been feel we've been feeling really welcome, uh, which I haven't had the experience with the uh, the other publishers. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. And it's starting to look like the Wii U is, uh, is, is in my opinion at least, is going to be a great uh, indie platform, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, there's a lot of, lot of indie developers doing exciting stuff for the Wii U now. So uh, 
yeah, I think I think it'll be exciting. Yeah, it was just prob probably released a bit early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, possibly. Yeah. Also, I mean, you know, uh, Festival of Magic sort of feels like it. It's a good fit for for Nintendo. Uh, everything from the graphical style to how we're you know building this 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 thing up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Your current future is certainly set on making Festival of Magic the experience the best you possibly can. Do you see yourself coming back to Nintendo systems after that? Or is that, however, or perhaps still up in the air for now? It's still up in the air, I think. I mean, this is the first time we're, we're working with Nintendo or, you know, for any of the, the, the big three, right? Yes. So, uh, so uh, we're just going to have to play it by ear, I, I think, and, yeah, and see how it goes. Festival of Magic is a really long-term project for us. Uh, True. We plan... Four episodes so far, but uh, we have ideas for a lot of more episodes, and uh, it's something we really like to build on for mm -hmm. several years. Uh, and and by then, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but those episodes will also come out on Wii U. Yes. 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 Yeah. Okay. So I feel like I've been blabbering around for like twenty-five minutes. So, is there anything else that you want to bring up, or perhaps discuss? Hmm. Well, uh, <laughs> I still want to like talk story, but I can't. So. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it then. Don't do it. If you're if you're if you're doubting yourself, just don't do it. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna wait a little bit. Yeah. Okay, I think that's it then. Yeah. 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 Cool. Uh, then I uh, thank you so much for being on this interview. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's nice talking to you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the final interview of tonight. And tonight with me is Jennifer. Um, could you introduce yourself to the audience proper and? give the audience look what you are doing. Yeah, so uh, my name is Jennifer. I'm one of the co-founders of a small independent studio in the UK called Yum Yum. Um, I'm not uh, originally from England. Uh, I'm actually German, but I uh, moved to the United Kingdom about four years ago to um, work for a company called Rare. And um, while I was there working on Connect Sports, I met um, the co well, my fellow co-founder of Yum Yum, uh, Phil Tussle. And ever since then, so we left about three years ago, we've been working on a game called Tengami. Hmm. So you have a very interesting history as far as like the gaming industry is concerned. So you took firstly a job in Japan, correct? Yeah, that's right. Uh, my, my first job in the, in the games industry was um, with an independent studio called Acquire. They are located in Tokyo and are most famous for being the creators of the original Tenchu series. And they've also done the Way of the Samurai series and uh, Shinobido. I think these are the, the titles that are most famous. Yeah. I yeah, I certainly played one or two of them. Um, but what made you decide to go to Japan then? Because it seems like a big step from from living in Europe and Germany from then going to Japan. Mm. Yeah, um, like like I've been kind of like fascinated with with Japan for a very long time, and uh, I also you know have since I was a little girl uh, wanted to make uh, video games professionally. 
And uh, Japan to me is kind of like the, the motherland of video games. And so it kind of seemed like, you know, the perfect opportunity to go to Japan to learn about making video games, but also kind of um, experience this life that is completely different from, you know, everything that you see in Europe. True. So you went there um, how many years ago? Oh, eight years ago. Eight years ago. And then you went, after a couple of years, you went back to Europe to work at where? Um, how was that transition? Because, like, Japan might have been a dream for you, but you returned to the UK to work at where on Connect Sports. How was that? How was, came that decision about, really? So, after four years, um... <clears throat> In Japan, I kind of felt like that, that I had learned like everything that I can learn in that space. So Acquire is kind of like a, um, a, a medium-sized um, independent developers. Uh, when, when I was there, there were about, I think, 50 people on development stuff. And um, while they do some independent projects, most of the games that they do are with, with you know publishers. So it's kind of like... Um, the relationship is a, like a third-party developer. And um, I wanted to see what is it like um, working kind of like first-party or second-party um, for, you know, for, for a big famous company that does um, high-budget games. Um, because uh, most of the games that Acquire work, worked on were kind of like on a, on a small-scale budget. Yes. And uh, so the opportunity came up to um, to join Rare, which are obviously part of Microsoft Game Studios. And um, I just really wanted to see, like, what what is that like to work, you know, like for a big famous company, uh, being part of Microsoft on on kind of like a like what what we say more like a, a trip triple A um, scale kind of title. Yes. And so you went to where? There must have been also like a big transition because um, you mentioned in another interview where Tokyo, the Tokyo area was a bit like with, an, with a train station next to it and you were in that kind of environment with working with smaller teams. And then you were going to this very lush environment in the UK where you would almost see anything except for the studio ground place. Yes, that was definitely a bit like a big culture shock. So um, Acquire is uh, located like right in the center of Tokyo in uh, what's called Akihabara. It's kind of like the, it's also known as the electric town, like where you see like all the cosplay and where you have all these um, kind of like made cafes. And it's really like, you know, there's always like 24 hours, like something is happening. And the first time I came to Rare, it was almost like I felt a little bit like in a Resident Evil game, like <laughs> like we, where you're coming kind of like to this secret compound that is somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I mean, Rare, Rare, the is it's like a, a beautiful area where Rare is on. Like there's like you know like big gardens um, that that belong to the company, but it's all walled off. And there's absolutely no public transport. So, you know, there's no bus station or no train that you can take to go to Rare. Like, you need to, you need to have a car 
and you absolutely need to go you need to know where you're going and um, yeah that was definitely like a complete a contrast like you know to what Tokyo was like hmm. so you went to where you worked there on connect sports but in late 2010 you've made the decision to work independently and build a company together uh, what were your feelings at that point in time? Yeah, so I, I think I've, um, like, after, after, like, being with Rare and kind of seeing, like, what that big studio environment is like, I mean, Rare is still, I mean, it's, it's not as big, you know, as, as like, like some of the Ubisoft teams where they have, like, 500 people, but, it, oh, but yeah. it was still, like, you know, the kind of, like, the biggest team that I'd ever worked on with more than 100 people on the game. And um, while that was certainly interesting to kind of like see like a different work environment, like I wasn't very satisfied with, with just, you know, being able to impact a really small part of the game. Because obviously, like if you have more than 100 people working on a, on a game, then everybody just does like very specialized work. And I didn't feel like it gave me you know, kind of like the growth as a game creator that I was looking for. And I was wanted more to kind of like be involved in all aspects of a game rather than just a specific task. So you wanted to go back to how Acquire was, but in a smaller scale, pretty much. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Hmm. So you went there and for like the last three years you worked on a game, which is Tengami, which we're going to talk about. Um, you're working on this for iOS, PC, Mac, and Wii U. Um, you're, you worked on that game for so long. What made you like think of the concept initially? So, like, I think when Phil was a child, he really loved pop-up books. And, um, Like one day he found this video on YouTube, which was a, which, which was an um, animation done by two by I think two students, and it showed a little duck that was um, kind of like going through the pages um, of a pop-up book, and and kind of like the duck encountered uh, several dangers. I think there was like a shark that was trying, for example, to eat the duck. And the the way that it was uh, presented, like, reminded us of a uh, kind of like a platformer. And uh, it, it really, it almost looked like a video game. And kind of like looking at this, like, it got us thinking, like, why has nobody ever done a, um, a video game, you know, inside a pop-up book or a video game that uses kind of like the folding and unfolding pop-ups as a game mechanic? And... Um, that really interested us to basically take this idea of the pop-up book and to kind of like see what kinds of video games uh, can you do in this, you know, in this physical toy book. But you, you take it away kind of like from, from the real world and you put it into this kind of like virtual environment. And um, yeah, we just really wanted to, you know, to experiment with that and see like if we can create kind of like a new kind of, of game experience with that. I feel like uh, that was also mentioned somewhere else. Like it took a year to get like all the technology off the ground, really, pretty much. Yeah. So because like while we while you know while we really love pop-up books and the kind of magical feeling it gives you when when you flip the page, like we had really no idea 
um, how you make pop-ups or, or what the kind of like the, the mathematical background is, like why does this really work? So we just started um, by kind of like buying books that teach you how to make pop-ups. And we built like so many, you know, pop-ups ourselves just to kind of like get a feel for it. And uh, then started to figure out the, the math behind it. And uh, Phil, Phil really did most of the, um, of the technical work on that. Kind of like coming up with a system that allows you to do this in a video game. It was a, it was a really hard process. And f really for the first year, there was a lot of uncertainty um, whether we would ever be able to make this kind of game. Just because the technology is so, is so difficult. Hmm. And to be fair and to be honest, like the art style has become really beautiful. Um, but how would, what were the design decisions behind it? Because we've we've talked earlier, and it was like you had to search like the specific paper to match like the environments and to see what would work in such a setting. So, like a lot of pop-up books nowadays are targeted at children. But like we were very clear from the beginning that you know we wanted our game to be mature and for mature audience. So one of the first things that we decided was that we didn't want kind of like a stereotypical paper art style that you often see in video games that almost looks like it, you know it was kind of like uh, made handcrafted by a child and has very colorful visuals. And um, that was kind of the first thing to it. And then the second one was that we started to look at kind of like what cultures or what countries do interesting things with paper. And Japan was, you know, in, in the top three list uh, instantly, just simply because they have such a long tradition of um, hand-making paper. And they have all types of specialty papers too. And uh, so we started experimenting with... Um, was called shiogami. That is kind of like this very um, colorful paper that you use um, to make um, origami. And a lot of the shiogami has also kind of like very beautiful uh, flower patterns or, you know, waves. I, but I think, you know, most people will have seen it. And um, we started uh, experimenting with that. And while that also, you know, created like a really beautiful art style, it um, it always like was like too kind of like too colorful, and which is something that we didn't want because uh, kind of like if you get, if something becomes too colorful, it it can easily look kind of like a little bit Barbie. It can also be like a bit a little bit confusing to the eye. Yeah, yeah. And um, so um, one day Rio, who is our Japanese artist, I mean Rio is also ex rare, but he lives in um, in Japan now again with his family. And uh, he uh, went to, to a bookstore in, in uh, Okinawa, where he lives. And he found this uh, specialty magazine um, about uh, Japanese paper. And it came with a CD that had kind of like scanned images of um, Japanese paper. But what was different about that type of paper was um, that it didn't, it didn't have a lot of patterns and it didn't have a lot of colors. It was kind of like almost a very natural and um, we started using that as in-game textures. And um, th that it was like a very kind of like minimalist 
look, but it still had something that was kind of like very striking and powerful and had this kind of like, almost like, kind of like Zen-like, you know, atmosphere just by, you know, just by looking at it. And we've just instantly fell in love with it and, um, yeah, stuck with it. I fell in love with it instantly by watching the video. So oh, thank you. you've done a good, you've done a good job. Um, the game is a atmospheric adventure game and it's supposed to be played at your own pace. Mm-hmm. Um, the game is also focused around puzzles first and foremost. Do you feel like both of these elements all blend very nicely together? Yeah, yeah, I, I think they do. Um, it's uh, so it's uh, when we say atmospheric adventure game, then what we mean is that it's more. So I, I think what, what I need to say first is that it's like very difficult to compare Tengami to existing video games just just simply because it's like the first video game you know that that ever tries to use this kind of like to use pop-up as a game mechanic and um, I think maybe what what it what it's can be most um, compared to is like a point-and-click adventure game but unlike in point-and-click adventure games where you do like a lot of talking and a lot of inventory puzzles the gameplay in Tengami is mostly around, evolves around exploring this beautiful pop-up book world that you are in and discovering what it feels, uh, what it means and feels to be inside a pop-up book. But then also do kind of like puzzles with kind of like folding and unfolding parts of the world. Um, for example, to create new paths. Um, and it's really a lot about it's a lot about the atmosphere and the experience, just like you know, like this really kind of like it's like zen-like, meditative, but it's also melancholic and mysterious. And you and you pretty much like like it says in the description, like at you're very much at your own pace. You kind of like slowly and gently explore the pop-up book world around you. And then, and then you come across puzzles and obstacles um, that you solve by manipulating the world around you, which means that you unfold parts of it or fold parts of it away. And you go deeper and deeper kind of into the narrative and, you know, start to discover what Tengami means. So it's kind of, the game is kind of a mix between like and sim- like the simple the simple adventure games from like from way back in the day yeah. with a bit of point and click adventureness at the side or is it am i putting it in completely in the wrong fashion yeah 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 that is right yeah okay no, i'm correct hooray <laughs> <laughs> um so what kind of places will you be exploring in this adventure the the first area takes place um, in a forest at night time and you encounter kind of like this wolf pack yes I, that was also in the trailer correct yeah that's also in the trailer yep. yeah and um, then the the, the the second area is a an ocean where you um, get on a sailing boat later on and you do some sailing and explore this paper ocean. <laughs> and then the third level will be in um, 
kind of like what, what I call Kyoto in autumn. So Kyoto is very famous for two things. And one is obviously like it's, you know, it's beautiful temples. And um, the other is um, the, the red leaves. Because in autumn, all the, all the leaves turn red. And that's what Kyoto is really famous for. And it's, it's very beautiful. Like I've been to Kyoto in autumn. So every area has some specific perks to it to make the adventure like fre fresh in places. Yes, exactly. And yeah. it also it kind of like explores a different gameplay with the with the pop-ups. Mhm. Mm Which is of course very important because you want to keep like people engaged during the adventure and keep them interested while they're exploring these areas, of course. Yeah, exactly. And also because it's kind of like like our first attempt at you know making making this pop-up game we also want to show people like as many different kind of like play possibilities as possible with it but obviously while still having like a cohesive thread um, through it of course um having worked like three years on the title do you feel like you've accomplished everything that you wanted with it yeah, like that one. I mean, like you, you never accomplish everything like that you want with a game. But with Tengami, that is particularly difficult to answer for me because, like, when we started the game, like I had, like honestly, like no idea what the game would be like because there's just nothing out there, you know, where you can just say, "Oh, let's see what another developer has done with pop-ups." And I didn't even, I didn't think for the longest time, probably for the first year, that we would be able to make a video game with it. And so in that sense, like, I feel like, you know, we've already, um, like, reached far beyond my expectations. But then again, now that we've worked on it for three years, like, we, we have found, you know, a, like, a lot more things that you can do with a pop-up then we have time to put into, into this first game. So I think that there's still like a lot of untapped potential, um, you know, that, that, uh, that would really be um, worth looking into in the future. So you feel that you have won, but you feel that you can still like return to it in the future. Yeah, it's, it's almost like sometimes I feel like we've only scratched the surface with it, with what we have now. Yes. Okay, so definitely maybe something to look into for the future. Um, you're currently focusing on the iOS version, of course. Um, so you have stated that you guys have turned toyed around with the Wii U a bit. How has the work been so far? And do you have any ideas how you will approach like this version of Tengami? Yeah, so um, we have actually... Um done a, a, like a lot more work on the Wii U version uh, I think since, since we last talked about it uh, just simply because we want to show it um, at PAX Prime in Seattle at the end of the month and um, we found that the, um, the gamepad and the iPad are actually quite um, comparable and uh, that you know the, the, the game uh, works really well on, on the Wii U gamepad and so at the moment, we are just focused on um, kind of like uh, using, the, uh, using the video gamepad um, 
for the player to control the game with. So it's basically you tap where you want the character to go, and then you can imagine that as a kind of like a gentle sliding of the finger across the screen to fold and unfold things. And uh, in the future, we are going to look into um, whether um, it adds something to use, kind of like the D-pad and obviously also the, the analog sticks of the gamepad for character control. It also kind of depends how like people react to it at PAX Prime, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Like I'm, I'm very excited to see kind of like how you know how people will react to it. Because you have that feedback. It the feedback is needed to like see where you can push development and if people really find this nice to use the touchscreen of the Wii U gamepad because you compare them like very comparatively, but of course like the the Wii U is not like multi-touch like an iPad. Yeah, that's true, but um, so we actually are not using multi-touch at the moment on, on the iPad either, and that is simply because ex like accessibility is a big thing for us. Um, and the moment that you start multi-touch, um, like people need to have, definitely need to have two hands, or it will become very difficult. And we were... Um, and we were showing the game recently, I think it was last month, here in the UK at a game show. And um, I had this uh, this man come uh, to play Tengami and he only had one hand because he, because he was disabled. And I, fe like, I felt you know, like really relieved. It was almost relief that we didn't have multi-touch in the game because I knew that he wouldn't have been able to do it. And it's it's very important for me that, you know, as many people as possible are physically capable of playing Tengami. With with the mental abilities, you know. <laughs> that that's that's something that's something different. But so yeah. Yeah, but it it, it at least it, it, it works well enough, you think, on the touch screen of the Wii U gamepad to make it worthwhile to pursue that word completely. Yes, absolutely. And we did play a lot of uh, a lot of games to do research. Like you know, Nintendo Land does a really good job at introducing all the features of the gamepad. Um, also played Zombie U, which makes good use of the gamepad, and some other titles. And that you know, even before we had started. Uh, Developing that that really convinced us that the gamepad does have the you know capabilities that we need for Tengami to make a good game. How was the contact with Nintendo initially, and were you like happy or excited to make something on the platform? Yeah, that came uh, like basically out of nowhere. It was a total surprise uh, for me. Just uh, one day, I had an email from uh, Nintendo Europe in my in my mailbox, and um, it was. Uh, from Tim, and he just said that uh, somebody uh, from Nintendo in the US, I think it was Dan Edelman, had seen and played Tengami at Indicate in Los Angeles, and uh, that they really liked it. So Indicate, I don't know if everybody knows what Indicate is, it's kind of like an uh, independent games festival that tries to be what Sundance is for independent movies, uh, to be for independent games. I've, yeah, I've definitely heard about it before, um, but I follow the indie scene also quite much. So, uh, so I I shouldn't be blaming people for not knowing it, but it, it's a big festival for for that sort of stuff, of course. Mm. Yeah, and uh, he 
basically told uh, Tim in Europe that they should uh, get in touch with us to see if we want to bring it uh, to the Wii U. And uh, like I had thought about the Wii U before because I thought that the ga that the gamepad uh, might be a good fit um, for Tengami, of course. But I didn't really know how to get kind of like in contact with them. And there was also a little bit of a kind of like a reputation, you know, Nintendo had had the reputation that they weren't very indie friendly. So yeah, that was really like like a super welcome surprise uh, when I had that email in my inbox. And um, we talked about this, you know, a little bit like the, the three of us and we were quite, uh, in, you know, interested in it. But we were, I think, initially a little bit worried that maybe the game like was a little bit too different, kind of like compared to like Nintendo games. Yes. And so I just basically asked on Twitter and one day and I said, so like, like, would you like to see Tengami on the Wii U? And uh, the response was so overwhelmingly positive um, that, you know, I, we just said, oh no, we, we know we need to do this. Like the the moment that I from the moment that I asked the question until I think about thirty six hours later, my phone just kept basically buzzing with notifications from Twitter, and but people were just like being super supportive. Yeah, I I also kind of feel responsible for it because I retweeted that tweet and replied to it. Wonderful. Yeah, I've, I don't know. I don't know if I exactly remember what I said. Um, but I said something among the lines of, even if it's not coming to Wii U or not, I am now interested in your game. Yeah, and I, now that you say that, I, I remember. I remember that tweet. That, that was very sweet. Yeah, thanks so much. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I now feel a bit embarrassed. So there you no, go. Like that. No, that like you know the kind of like that that positive like support like really really meant a lot to us. And that was for me really the biggest single kind of like decision factor in saying yeah let's you know let's do this i mean the the guys were a little bit more cautious and also looked at it kind of like from from a business perspective and things like that that but, that's it's definitely fair but um i was kind of happy that it was confirmed for the wii u and it was also kind of pleasing to see it at the nintendo direct in europe because i feel like it accomplished something and we got a game for it in return, so both sides can be happy about it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, Nintendo have been, you know, have been really nice to us, and it's been fantastic working with them so far. And like, I like, I was so excited, um, you know, to be part of the Nintendo Direct, even if it was just like as part of the, you know, just with a little trailer. But that was really, that was really great. Because I feel like Nintendo has done like more of this stuff like in in the last couple of months where they're supporting more indies more actively, and I feel like that was like the breaking point. I, I was I was like a bit uh, that America didn't do it, but I was so happy that like that there were so many games that are coming from our region here, and I was just pleased with like seeing Tengami on there um, personally because I I feel like that game was like the most fun looking off the mall. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, in that fashion, yeah, it, it really worked out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, 
have you kind of thought about what is next for the studio and what you want to do in the future, like after Hangami? You're still focused on the game, of course, but it it might be a weird question to ask, but I just want to hear the answer. Yeah, I mean, so obviously a lot will depend on kind of like how well Tengami sells and whether we'll have enough money to keep going and make another game. But we have talked about um, what it is um, that we wanted to do next, whether we just want to make kind of like another Tengami or if we want to do something completely different. And um, we we are actually... um, quite interested in doing more with the Wii U uh, just simply because it's um, it's a very interesting hardware in yeah. the way that you have kind of like the touch controls, motion controls and t- the traditional controller that you have all these uh, input options uh, at, your, at, your, at your servers and I don't think that developers um, are doing enough with it or are experimenting enough with it. And, you know, we as a company are really interested in, in making different games or making kind of like new type of games. Yeah. And so in that sense, um, the, the Wii U, because it's, uh, if you look at the, at the next-gen console generation, it's, uh, it's the most interesting in, in that regard. Yes. And it's also the one that gives has like the most room, I think, for innovation and untapped potential. So, you know, like we'll we'll see how it goes um with Tengami. Um but we have yeah, we've definitely talked about a game specific for the for the Wii U that really, you know, make good use of of what the hardware offers. Hmm. And um, of course you have to first again see how Tengami sells on the Wii U. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't need like triple A numbers, but it's still very important at the very least. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, at the very least, you just want to make you know, the money back that you put in. Um, because if, if, you have, if you kind of like have less money than before, then you're not making, you know, your, your company isn't viable or it isn't sustainable. Yeah, of course. Um, so we have blabbering around for like... What is it, 30 minutes? Is there anything else that you feel you should bring up or anything you want to end on? Um, yeah, I just um, w- would like to thank like everybody who, uh, who sent us a tweet uh, last year. Um, th- that, was, uh, that was really nice and that, that uh, made, you know, made us very happy. And uh, we are, you know, we are looking forward to releasing Tengami on the Wii U and uh, see, to see what, you know, what people will think of it. So the game is coming on iOS at least in 2013. Mm-hmm. The other yes. platforms are still like up, kind of up in the air? Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we, you know, every platform that we do, we want to make sure that the game works really well on it. And that uh, we don't, we don't, we we don't just want to do kind of like a, you know, a port and like and rush it. Like we really want to see um, if there are things that we can do to make um, Tengami, you know, maybe even better on the other platforms. And unique, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and take advantage of the of the hardware features as well. So I don't think it'll, you know, it'll 
it'll come early 1214, I would think. Um, that seems like fair enough, because it, it, you, the, the game has already like taken three years. You first also kind of have to enjoy that it's done on iOS, I, I feel. Yeah. That's 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 at least a victory. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, absolutely. And um, it was made with the iPad in mind, so it will it will be very interesting to see, uh, you know, to see what happens uh, when we release on iOS. And after that, we'll see what happens on other platforms. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what rests me then is to thank you for this interview. You know, thank you so much for the opportunity. Okay, thank you. <laughs>